From the age of eight brother, from the age of eight old bodies, from a dead man, greetings. is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, uh, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, nerve tag, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I just say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
after reading that law line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All right, all right, all right, folks. Uh, it's time for another stream. Two in a day. You're lucky, lucky. And this is a big one. Uh, the House Congressional hearing with uh, Anderson and Robert Gary, uh, authors of the Proximal Origin paper. Let me uh, get Commander or Shogun Rikasu uh, on the line. Bear with me one second. Um, I've just been, I've been reading the Democrat report and <laughs> I'll, I'll wait till, uh, we get Charles on the line, but, um, do this, link, send him the link and, uh, I probably should have just called him via Zoom. I wonder if I should do that. Um, but uh, yes, uh, in my professional opinion, folks, you are all about to get shafted by the establishment. They have spent years spinning this uh, yarn together, and the, the outcome is is uh, well, you know, maybe Jerry Jeremy Farrer is in trouble, um, but. Yeah, they 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 are doing everything, everything possible to uh, absolve themselves of anything that would. Uh, oh, uh, was beeping at me. Telegram. Got that. I think. Be 
Felix be testifying? No, he should have been. He was supposed to be. Um, and that's why uh, we need to bring him on. We need to. We need to have. Ow, oh God, the the things already started. Where's uh, where's Shogun Rixie? Come on. Wait, let me bring this up. Change screen. To examine the drafting, publication, and critical reception of the publication entitled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. Proximal origin came to two primary conclusions. First, that COVID-19 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. And second, that no type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. This is not an attack on science, it's not an attack on peer review, and it's not an attack on an individual. We're examining whether government officials, regardless of who they are, unfairly and perhaps biasly tip the scales toward a preferred origin theory. We're examining any conflicts of interest, biases, or suppression of scientific discourse regarding the origins of COVID-19. And we're examining the science of proximal origin. Because while I believe it's not solely a scientific question, the science behind the origins is vital. In one word, we're examining the scientific methodology applied to the origins question. In my mind at this point, I view the processes to be flawed. If we're to do better in the future, we must make every effort to mend our flaws. And overall, we're examining whether scientific integrity was disregarded in favor of political expediency, maybe to conceal or diminish the government's relationship with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or perhaps its funding of risky gain-of-function coronavirus research, or maybe to avoid blaming China for any complicity, intended or otherwise, in a pandemic that has killed more than one million Americans and has had a crushing effect on all of humankind. In the earliest stages of the pandemic, scientists and public health authorities raced to understand this novel coronavirus, called novel for good reason. To understand how it spread, who was at risk, its origins, and most importantly, how to prevent loss of life. As, we, as work advanced gradually on most of these fronts, the origins question stalled. Did it come from a natural spillover transferred from a bat to an intermediate source to a human? Or was it the result of a laboratory or research-related accident? In other words, did it come from a lab? Honestly, we may never know with 100% certainty the origins of COVID-19 especially without full, legitimate cooperation and transparency from all involved. However, we do know some things for certain, that the drafting, coordination, and publication of Proximal Origin and downplaying the lab... Right, I think I'm going to just pause it there. Give me a sound check, uh, Shogun Rikasu, please. Are you there? It says connected. No. All right, let me just stop the share for a minute. Leak 
was antithetical to science. Not my words. That's what Dr. Can you hear me, bro? I can see you. Um, can you hear me? Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. You got sound? No? No sound? Uh, uh, fix your sound, bro. Um. Dr. Redfield, the former CDC director and renowned virologist, testified to our select subcommittee in March. He testified that science never selects a single narrative. We foster debate, and we're confident that with debate, science will eventually get to truth. Did we do that? That wasn't the case with proximal origin. Dr. Anderson, testifying today, wrote... Okay, we got you. I don't know how much you were hearing at the beginning there. Can you hear me? Uh, hold on one second. Should I start sharing the screen? Um, uh, hold on. Mike just went off. He is there alive, folks. Uh, whilst Charles is waiting, I'm going to let it play so it doesn't lag too far behind. ...that the author's main work over the past couple of weeks have been focused on trying to disprove any type of lab theory. While it's true that the scientific method consists of raising yeah. a hypothesis... You can indeed. Now, can you hear this? You can't okay. hear it. I'm going to share the screen with you, bro. Okay. And then testing the hypothesis... Is that working? Often through falsifiability, yeah. okay. it's not true nor appropriate to make definitive conclusions based on falsification process, riddled with assumptions. Assumptions are not science. To be clear, the goal of science is to prove and disprove. Regardless, it would be seemingly misleading to assume that proximal origin proved or disproved anything it sought to test. Its conclusion is flawed as it relies on unsupported assumptions, including guessing what a hypothetical scientist would do in hypothetical experiments. The facts are that the authors of Proximal Origin ultimately took a one-sided educated guess. They guessed that in the previous three years, science would discover a furin cleavage site in a SARS-related virus or viruses, and didn't. They guessed that maybe the WIV, Wuhan Institute of Virology, wasn't working with pangolin viruses, and they were wrong, as related by ODNI, the Office of the Department, of the Director of National Intelligence. Perhaps most troubling, it appears that the author's views on a potential lab leak changed abruptly after the February 1st conference call with Drs. Fauci and Collins. The authors continued their pursuit to disprove the lab leak theory and fully support the nature theory.
employing faulty assumptions, and willfully ignoring circumstantial evidence that tended to support a lab leak hypothesis. <coughs> Why? Why? They also tended to act more akin to politicians than scientists. Dr. Rambo, Dr. Foucher, Fortier, Dr. Collins all expressed concerns that the lab leak theory, if verified, would have significant international political implications, particularly for China. Right. Dr. Fauci also wrote that downplaying a lab leak would lead to the chance of new bio. Sorry, sir, you were saying. I was saying in the U.S. Um, yes. So are we gonna? So are we gonna do this to where like we pause it and? Yeah, you tell me when to pause. And um, okay, well, see, I yes, because I didn't know if you wanted to, if you wanted to, if you cared about being live or not. Um, where they are. The other joy of this technology is we can stop and start and uh, interject. Um, look, I'm liking the tenor of what he's saying. Generally, uh, I, I'm still trying to pick my jaw off the floor with respect to the report he just sent me ten minutes ago. Um, I presume they're going to get into that somewhat, but um... well, uh, so so I don't know. I, I took a shower, so like I didn't catch any like if there was an intro or or anything. No, I straight know straight how... to this dude. Um, there straight was... to this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, so let's since we're since we're already paused, and since well, they're not going to say anything of value. Um, I, I just want to say well, this, I, I, I think we pe people should know a little bit about the background, about um, the contacts that exactly. were made to you and how they, well, the pre-prepared questions that are coming and how you wanted to rip those to shreds and rip, <laughs> basically rip uh, Anderson and Gary to shreds. Uh, so please um, explain what happened. Well, so in this case... Um... It's not very often in my lifetime that this has been the situation, but in this particular instance, um, I'm I may be the global expert on the lies of these authors in the proximal origin, uh, especially especially Robert Gary. I can almost guarantee that. Well, certainly nobody else in. On our side, knows more about Robert Gary and what he's doing, and so yes, um, uh, for for those who don't know, I I was the first person to discover that that uh, Fauci was actually connected to the scientific censorship uh, four months before his emails were released. Uh, no one knows that because, well, nobody knew who I was then. But Congress knows that because Congress was reading my stuff, at least certain investigators and some members of Congress. So back in 2021, I already knew and already discovered those links. And so I gained some gravitas there. And then last year, my watchmaker hypothesis, a big part of that involves Robert Gary because he knowingly um, played a part in hiding an entire generation's worth of science. Um, 
in including with approximate origin specifically. And I've already proven that Robert Gary himself, along with Christian Anderson, they they basically plagiarized um, arguments that were taken from Robert Gary's own mentor. And we have evidence for this. And we have the the preprint version of, of the Proximal Origin paper that they're going to talk about. And we have the final draft. And they removed the references to a guy named Bill Gallagher, who was Robert Gary's mentor. And over the course of We'll talk, we'll explain more about what that actually means and why that's incredibly important um, in a little bit. But what I want people to understand is that um, is that this hearing is bullshit. And I know that for a fact because as as the good doc was was just saying, I have been trying to get the uh, um, we were we were asked we being drastic and myself were were asked to to ponder and submit any recommendations for questions that were going to be asked to these two individuals for this hearing right here, and and uh, I'm rather upset because I had a phone uh, call scheduled with someone from this committee to talk about that and to provide those recommendations. And I got stood up at the last minute. And, um, and that's, that's pretty annoying because I don't know what they're about to say in this hearing. And I haven't even read the document that I just sent Kevin. Oh God, I was scanning but, it, dude. It's terrible. <laughs> but I know what it's not going to say. Right. And so, so we're having to, we're get, we're having to offer this like kind of semi live commentary because I'm going to have to fill in the gaps and we're probably going to do a Twitter space for that to do a more complete job of it. But we typically don't do this, but we're just going to be watching this raw yep. as it happens. So history, I history in the makings. There's vomiting. <laughs> if, if I start to vomit or if there's something else, I apologize in advance, but uh, it, it, there's Get probably going to be some... Or something. An infarction, yeah. infarction, <laughs> emesis, um, uh, anal seepage. I don't know, but but my guess is something is coming from this. So anyway, so I'm gonna. You can go ahead and run, roll it. I'm gonna grab a drink real fast. Okay, I'll but speed it. I'll still up be able, I'll still be able to hear. But yes, the the shocking thing is is that they had the chance to, and believe me, all the questions are pre prepared. So it's not like uh, Gary or Anderson are going up there not knowing what's going to be asked, and um, they're yeah. milk toast, milk toast questions. Safety discussions that would unnecessarily yeah. obstruct future attempts of virus culturing. These are quotes. Why try to avoid biosafety discussions when people are dying? Science should be clear, even when politics are not. On April 16, Dr. Collins expressed dismay that proximal origin didn't fully squash the lab leak theory and asked Dr. Fauci if there was anything more they could do to put it down. I want to pause on anything more we can do for a second. That, that, that would suggest that they already did censorship. do something. Maybe this was a reference to proximal <laughs> origin. I don't know for sure. 
But on the very next day, on April 17, 2020, Dr. Fauci cited proximal origin from the White House podium when asked if COVID-19 leaked from a lab. He used proximal origin to downplay the lab leak theory. Why? Based on what absolute truth? The question as to the origins of COVID-19 is fundamental to helping us predict and prevent future pandemics, protect our health and our national security, and prepare the United States for the future and to save lives. I look forward to a strong, on-topic discussion today. I would now like to recognize Ranking Member Ruiz for the purpose of making an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to our witnesses for being here today. Uh, three years ago, when reports emerged of a deadly, highly transmissible novel virus, the race to better understand this threat and how we could fight it began. Scientists, doctors, and public health officials from across the globe sought to answer key questions like how the virus spread, how it would impact our most vulnerable, and what we could do to treat it. While now we have those answers, one mystery remains unsolved. How did this virus even come to be in the first place? Since the first outbreak of COVID-19, researchers in the scientific community have worked tirelessly to get to the bottom of this very issue. Our intelligence community has conducted a sweeping assessment of the novel coronavirus's origins at President Biden's direction. You, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, not, you're not convinced, Shogun Rikasu. Uh, that. So did, did, did I really just hear him say that that since the beginning, um, scientists, serious scientists, have been have been seriously looking into the origin of the pandemic. Did indeed, as he the intelligence be, he agencies. Would, he would be right. The intelligence agencies, yes, he would be right that serious scientists are looking into the origin of the pandemic. So it was nice of him to talk about us. However, uh, he's not talking about anybody that's testifying today. And as it just so happens, not only was I the first person and the person who has done the most, once again, even though it's not widely known, Congress knows, the person who has done the most to um, to uncover and to categorize or to Yo. Lost you. I just lost Yeah, you, you you went <clears throat> off for a second. Yo. Can you hear me? Okay, well, can I, I can you, hear can you hear now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you dropped off for you. You said you've done the most to investigate, and then it just um, went. Yeah, silent. my Bluetooth. My Bluetooth just died. So, oh well. Okay. Um. No, as long, so as long as it sounds good, we'll, we'll continue. So. Yeah, it's good. Um, what I was going to say is is that in addition to quantifying the censorship and discovering the censorship. Uh, the next thing I was involved in was the diffuse proposal, which was proof that the intelligence community was lying and covering up its connections with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is the exact opposite of what had, was just said. So, so basically, both things that were just said are absolute bald-faced lies unless they're referring to the intelligence work that myself and Major Murphy did and or the scientific work that, you know, the drastic and you and, and others did. Well, maybe, maybe, um, maybe they are going to mention it. Um, we don't know yet. This is live. So, um, 
my feeling is is that they're not. This is just pantomime to satiate the. Oh, 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 hold on, hold on. Uh, I will. Okay, let's see. I'm gonna put down five hundred yen. Okay, five hundred yen. Oh, big bucks. So first of all, so there's not a chance in Hades that uh, that the Democrats are gonna mention defuse. Um. Huh. No, you know what? Why not? Let's just let's just say it. Uh, Republicans will not mention defuse either. So there'll be no defuse proposal discussed today. Okay. I might be wrong on this one. Yeah, five hundred yen. All right. Um, let's see. Let's see another uh, five hundred yen. Let's, what's another good one we can do? Uh, that they will. They will not mention the coordinated uh, censorship. That was instigated via Fauci through um, through all the agencies onto uh, social media. Well, I would say, well, I would say, uh, well, they will not mention the February third meeting. There we go. Is it? Is that uh, the first well, meeting? Not, the first meeting with Farrer and uh, where they were getting around? No, 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 no. They, no, no. they, they won't mention the February third meeting. Which is the one where they slapped the table and said, "Yeah, we're going to censor, and this is what we're going to censor, and so everybody better follow suit." Um, th that was another thing that I discovered. That's the one with the, where the presidential science advisor was involved. So, so there you go, a thousand yen. All right, bro. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll take I'll take that bet. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good. I mean. Well, you can buy me a soda if right people may say people people may uh complain if we're if we're uh talking over you know why are we Sorry, why are we why are we gambling why are we gambling about you know what we're gonna hear well well i would ask a better question why did these why did these scientists gamble with the lives of millions of people and then why are members of Congress just in a giant circle jerk lying to the American people and hiding all American ties to this. Cause it sounds like they're just going to blame Farrar. Yes. Uh, yes. That's, that that seems see. to be the strategy, but all right, let's. Those, let's... Are, the, those are the real questions. Yeah. Let's kick it. Let's kick it. So let me just remind everybody here. There is currently no consensus on how this virus came to be whether it came from a lab or from nature, is still unknown. Two federal agencies still assess with low and moderate confidence that the virus originated in a lab, and four government agencies still assess with low confidence that the virus came about through natural transmission. While the facts remain unknown, we should let our expert communities continue to do their jobs while we as lawmakers focus on policies to help prevent the next pandemic and save future mm. lives but instead of doing that we are mm. here interrogating researchers who wrote a paper three to pause uh or, or did you No. uh i heard something i don't have so... any that you're gonna hear a lot of groaning from me so oh, okay yeah <laughs> um <laughs> all right I'll, I'll, maybe i'll say pineapples every time all right all right that'll be our safe word every time we do it <clears throat> okay years ago so that my colleagues can push a partisan narrative and disparage our nation's public health officials and institutions in the process. So let's just be clear. This isn't about building trust in public health and science, no. 
It's about tearing it down, about manufacturing a problem and manufacturing distrust to justify an extreme partisan agenda. It's about scoring political points by maligning public health officials who worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic to reduce harm and save <sighs> lives. What's worse is the preconceived conclusions being pushed create confirmation bias that inhibits experts from conducting objective, politics-free, scientific and intelligence investigations to actually help us understand the virus's origins in order to prevent and prepare for the next pandemic. Nearly five months have gone by since the start of this select subcommittee. Since then, we focused on the wrong priorities and wasted time on this hyper-partisan investigation, which, by the way, has ended up disproving my Republican colleagues' own theory. So let's go over the facts. The crux of their theory rests on a February 2020 conference call where they say doctors Fauci and Collins began a campaign to suppress the lab leak theory. Their own investigation has thus far revealed the opposite. In fact, documents and interview testimony provided to the select subcommittee at my Republican colleague's request confirms that Dr. Fauci and Collins hardly participated on that call. What's more, my colleagues claim that Dr. Uh, Fauci and Collins orchestrated the proximal yeah. origin paper. Again, their own... Uh. Big fat pineapples. Okay, so this is where some context is necessary because uh, it's true that that most sources who are at the meeting have said that that Fauci and Farrar and Collins were all, especially Fauci, was very quiet. In fact, Eddie Holmes said that during the February first meeting, one of the only things Fauci said was. Uh, just tell me what the science says. And uh, two days earlier, he, he'd received an email from Christian Anderson, where Christian Anderson was current about uh, concerned about the the discovery of the Fear and Cleavage site, which, by the way, was announced in English by Bill Gallagher, the mentor of Robert Gary, and Robert Gary on a post on a virology blog said, wow, this is really important. You guys should listen to what my mentor just said, that there's a fear and cleavage site in this virus. And then Fauci wrote back to Christian Anderson saying, oh no, that sounds terrible. Well, let's, let's figure out the science and if necessary, we can call the FBI. Right. Okay. That makes it sound like, okay, well, Fauci was concerned and that he just wanted to know about the science. Well, Kevin, do you, can you, can, can, do you know why I'm going to say that that's bullshit? Do you want to take a guess at why that's bullshit? You may, I mean, you might not remember, but, um, because Fauci, because Fauci knew about the fear and cleavage site three weeks earlier, so Fauci really was concerned and thought that the fear and cleavage site's existence necessitated calling the FBI because it might be gain of function research. He could have done that on January thirteenth, when his own underling Barney Graham made the conscious, explicit decision to keep the fear and cleavage site in the Moderna, what became the Moderna jab. Now, we can assume that if he made the decision to keep the furin cleavage site, then he was aware that the furin cleavage site was in the virus. Now, did Barty Graham call the FBI? 
Nope. Did uh, Fauci call the FBI? Nope. No, instead they waited three weeks and then pretended that they didn't know that it was in there. So And, and then Pradnan paper came out. Yeah, so the reason and the reason that they they had the meeting on February 1st was not because the fear and cleavage site had been discovered by Christian Anderson, because once again, Fauci already knew about the fear and cleavage site because he'd already decided to keep it in his vaccine. Yep. And that's it. And that's in peer reviewed literature that they wrote in their own timelines. So so why would why would Fauci why would Fauci be concerned and think that Christian Anderson should call the FBI? I don't know. The, the question shouldn't be that. The question should be, why didn't Fauci call the FBI three weeks earlier? Or why didn't Fauci tell the world? Or why did they conspire to spend another six weeks not talking about the fear of cleavage site or the HIV inserts? And instead, they spent six weeks prepping and trimming and and trying to make a perfect proximal origin paper. Well, let's, let's be very clear. Deep. It's not a scientific manuscript. It's an opinion, a sort of extended letter. Right. right. Yeah, it's, it's a letter that appeared. It's not even it's not even a scientific report or analysis. It's an opinion that was then used and weaponized by Fauci, as uh, Brad Winstrom just said. And the biggest problem with that is that 5.7 million people have read it. Which, by the way, is a lot for a scientific paper. In fact, it's like number three all time in modern history. So so there's a little bit of context there. So when they talk about how how Fauci was, they called this meeting because they were concerned that this virus might not be natural. The real question is, why didn't they call that meeting three weeks earlier when they learned of the fear and cleavage site? And the answer is, is because that meeting wasn't called because of the fear and cleavage site. It was called because of the HIV inserts. Oof. Anyway. All right. Yeah, they dance around this. Investigation has thus far revealed the opposite. In fact, the records and testimony of those involved in the paper reveal that Drs. Fauci and Collins, quote, played no role in the drafting of the paper, unquote. No, oh. a select subcommittee's oh, yeah. investigation has confirmed it was actually a scientist by the name of Dr. Jeremy Farrar, who convened the conference call my Republican colleagues have hyperbolized, who paved the way for the drafting and publication of the paper, so much so that the authors described him as, quote, a leader and, quote, a father figure, of the paper, and who my Republican colleagues didn't even bother to invite to this hearing. Look, I've said from the day I was appointed ranking member that my top priority for the Select Subcommittee is focusing on forward-looking policies to prevent and prepare for future pandemics. To take the lessons from the past and make them actionable solutions for the future. I reiterated this in a letter I sent last month to my good friend and colleague, Mr. the Chairman. But if we're going to continue down this path of political theater, then the very least we can do is stick to the facts. That is why my Democratic colleagues and I released our own report this morning detailing the evidence the Select Subcommittee has received so far that dispels these baseless allegations against Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. And that is why we invited <laughs> Dr. Farrar to appear before this subcommittee. 
because we are committed to following the facts. And if my Republican colleagues are so interested in having a serious debate about the publications of this paper and the science behind it, then they should want to hear from the one person who led this effort from the beginning. So let me conclude by saying wow. this. As we pass the one quarter mark of the select subcommittee's work this Congress, there is still time to change course. There is still time to pursue an objective analysis of the virus's origins that is free from political interference, a comprehensive, rigorous, and objective consideration of all potential possibilities of how COVID-19 emerged. And there is still time for us to shift our focus to crafting good policies that will prevent and prepare us for the next pandemic. So once again, I... So, yeah, he's basically some... As I've scanned through that report that you sent, it's it's basically that, that the... Um, Fauci and Collins had nothing to do with this. They were innocent bystanders. Um, I don't know who this oh Ruiz fella is, but um, <laughs> he's doing he's doing his uh, his paid for performance, I guess. I don't know. It's pantomime, folks. Pure pantomime. Invite my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to join us in putting the needs of the American people above political theater. So let's reject the extreme rhetoric targeting our nation's scientists. Let's disregard the conspiratorial accusations without proof against our nation's public health officials. And let's finally start the work together of helping to save future lives. I yield back. Thank you. I want to point out we invited every author of Proximal Origin, Dr. Eddie Holmes, Dr. Ambrew, Dr. Andrew Rambaugh, but both declined that invitation. Uh, Dr. Farrar is not listed as an author, yet he was invited by the minority, and apparently he declined. Dr. Lipkin has been voluntarily cooperating with our inquiry, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we have excused his testimony today, rightfully. And finally, Dr. Michael Farzan's counsel said oh. it would be inequitable and create a damaging misimpression to Dr. Farzan to include him on a panel regarding the paper with the actual authors. So our witnesses today are Dr. Robert Gary. Dr. Gary is currently a professor at the Tulane University School of Medicine. He holds his doctorate in microbiology from the University of Texas, and he is an author of the Proximal Origin paper. Dr. Christian Anderson. Dr. Anderson is currently a professor in the Department of Immunology and Microbiology at Scripps Research. He holds a doctorate in immunology from the University of Cambridge, and he is the corresponding author of the Proximal Origin paper. Pursuant to Committee on Oversight and Accountability Rule 9G, the witnesses will please stand and raise their right hands. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony that you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? This is fucking farcical, dude. Thank you. You may be seated. Let the record show that the witnesses all answered in the affirmative. The Select Subcommittee certainly appreciates you all for being here today, and we look forward to your testimony. Let me remind the witnesses that we have read your written statements, and they will appear in full in the hearing record. Please limit your oral statement to five minutes. As a reminder, please press the button on the microphone in front of you so that it is on and the members can hear you. When you begin to speak, the light in front of you will turn green. After four minutes, the light will turn yellow. When the red light comes on, your five minutes has expired, and we kindly ask you to please wrap up. I now recognize Dr. Gary to make an opening statement. Chairman Winstrom, Ranking Member Ruiz, distinguished members of the subcommittee, thank you for inviting me to testify today. For the last 40 years, I've worked as a professor at Tulane University School of Medicine. I've devoted my life's work to understanding emerging viruses. At the onset, it's important to note that I make these statements in my personal capacity. I'm not speaking on behalf of Tulane University. Although we've all lived through a very challenging viral pandemic, my personal perspective has been different than most. 
For nearly 20 years, I've worked closely with scientists and clinicians at the Kenema Government Hospital in Sierra Leone. KGH is a major site for research on the virus that causes Lassa fever. Ten years ago, Ebola virus emerged just 50 Pineapples. miles from Kenema. Ultimately, this <laughs> Ebola knew outbreak. I knew you were going to do it there, dude. <laughs> Go on. Well, actually, I could, I could do it like literally every word that you said. I could, I could have done it, but. As soon as the Ebola oh, was coming God. up, I, I knew that was. Uh... Oh, my gosh, well, it's not, but even before the Ebola, okay. So Robert Gary, Robert Gary has worked on a lot of defense contracts, a lot of defense contracts. In fact, Robert Gary is the co-founder of, I believe it's called Zalgen. Technologies, Zalgen Labs, Zalgen Labs. I don't know. I don't know how it's pronounced. It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a scam. And uh, he can sue me if he if he feels differently. Since they were so, I mean, when they were talking in private, he was on those emails where uh, where David Morin's we talked about recently was saying that we were going to come after and sue these lab leakers. So, um, sue, sue those assholes, got, uh, bonus holes. Sue those bonus holes, right? Sue those bonus holes. So just so you know, I've got my little notepad here, trying to learn some kanji. But I'm also, I'm also just taking notes. So anytime, you know, you, you just let me know what you want to sue me for. Mm. Uh, from, from my response to your testimony. Uh, but just understand, Mr. Robert... Um, making millions off of dead people, Gary, uh, that uh, you, sh you should just feel lucky that, um, that, that Congressman Winstrup didn't have the balls to actually use any of my questions because mine were actual questions. So I'll be interested to see. But, but yes, it's funny that you, that you, of your own accord, brought up Kenema Sierra Leone because that's the probable actual location of the of of the lab origin of the Ebola outbreak that killed what like twenty thousand people. I don't remember the number. Yeah, um, I mean, well, well, let's say it was like it was like a third of the people that got infected, and there's at least thirty thousand people that got infected. So at least ten thousand people died, and they died from the Ebola Zaire strain. And for people who aren't familiar with geography, uh, Sierra Leone is is across the continent. Well, we'll just say it's two thousand kilometers away from Zaire, or from the part of Zaire. So basically, half the United States or more across across like seven countries from where Ebola Zaire had most had had always been and they were testing vaccines in in monoclonal antibody therapeutics i want to say remdesivir as well Ebola. i think it was remdesivir as, as well. a matter of fact one of those is remdesivir yes yes kevin you're right and uh so yes so they were testing they had samples of ebola zaire in kenema sierra leone and guess what not only was Robert Gary like in charge of the viral the the viral hemorrhagic fever consortium, but his number two, figuratively and literally, was Christian Anderson, 
and the Scripps Foundation. So they were sharing they were sharing this lab complex in Canima, Sierra Leone, which magically happened to have you know its own Ebola cases. But we can't find the sequences for those. We can only find the ones for for next door, and I believe Guinea. Um, but anyway, I digress. So he's bringing up Ebola. I don't even know what he's going to say about it. But well, I think he's it, trying to build the impression that he's selflessly worked uh, for the public good in trying to understand these viruses. Nothing to do with <laughs> commercial interests in those. Uh, therapeutics at all don't even dare think about it lick spittles you would be casting aspersions on the man's character were you to do so same same well, for, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cast an aspersion right now because if <laughs> outside of the outside of the united states um if, if you go to africa where this actually happened um most people in africa like on like when they report it in the news and on documentaries about the Ebola outbreak, they believe that it was this lab that caused that outbreak. And that is being covered up and, and held from the media in the West. So, um, so yeah, it just so happens to be that in March of 2015, hold on, 2014, well, it doesn't matter what year it is. Whatever year the outbreak was, I think it was 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. So in March of 20, by March of 2014, Robert Gary and, and the Tulane group and Christian Anderson's Scripps group were kicked out of Canima Sierra Leone. They were said, leave the lab compound and go away. And nobody knows why they did it. Nobody knows why they had to leave the country, but uh, but they were told to leave the country, and so the Department of State got them out. I can't imagine why they would do that. Oh, and by the way, you want to know who else? You want to know who was the third part of this unholy triumvirate? Uh, yes. Meta Biota. Of course, yes. Biota. <laughs> oh, yeah. Epstein. Epsteinization right to the top folks yeah all right so let's... so so oh no 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 so it gets so, worse since we're, since, we're, oh, no. since we're doing this so so let's let's repaint the picture so i have no idea what he's about to say about ebola zaire but the odds are pretty good that the two gentlemen that are sitting right here are responsible along with nathan wolf and Meta metabiota for the accidental release of the Ebola Zaire strain, 2,000 kilometers away from where it actually naturally appears, uh, that led to the outbreak that killed tens of thousands of people in horrific fashion. And then, after they got kicked out of the country, they had free time, and so they were tasked with writing the origin story for the Ebola virus outbreak, which they blamed, <laughs> which they blamed on um a That's... small town a small village in uh uh in in guinea i can't i can't think of the name of the town or the or the small boy that they say did it but, oh, yeah, but yeah. sam husseini sam husseini and uh and jonathan latham did a great job of 
of actually going back and looking at African coverage of this, as well as the science. And they point out that uh, that the father of the boy who died said explicitly, "Yeah, we think this was we think this was dengue fever or malaria. We we don't think it was Ebola." So, I'm not saying that they're lying or that what he's about to say is a lie, but he was kicked out of the country very early on. So he he had the best sequencing labs like for PCR and all this other stuff. And they kicked him and Scripps, which Anderson represents, they kicked both of them and made a biota out of the country early on during the Ebola outbreak. And we can safely assume it's not because they didn't need them. So... Leave that there just for people to chew on. It's, uh... I, 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 I'm just I'm just painting the picture. That's all I'm doing right now. Just painting the picture. Well, once once Epstein, uh, I need I need a little button that makes that Epstein head pop up into the corner every now and then. But uh, yep. yeah, Epstein 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 was present here. Sign Epstein. Right. would claim the lives of thousands of people, including dozens of healthcare workers at the Kenley Government Hospital. Having lost many close colleagues to an outbreak of a deadly virus, the December 2019 reports of cases of a novel pneumonia in Wuhan, China, were ominous. They raised the specter of a possible impending global disaster caused by a novel airborne virus, one I worried that the world would be ill-equipped to handle. Shortly after the first release of the SARS-CoV-2 genetic sequence, I participated in an in-depth molecular and phylogenetic analysis of the virus with a group of other scientists. We wrote a peer-reviewed publication in Nature Medicine titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. In the paper, we concluded that it was likely that SARS-CoV-2 had all naturally. Um, Kevin? Kevin, are letters, are letters peer-reviewed? Uh, they can be opinion pieces, yes, for sure. And okay. I think... It's okay. it's classed as opinions in the Nature Medicine paper. It's too long for a letter, and um, well, okay. All right, so yes, it probably was uh, a facilitated review. Put it that way, like uh, Susan Weiss's uh, paper. We specifically hey, twenty-four hour turnaround time. Well, you know, modern day efficiencies and that. I know that I know that Adrian and Dao Yu and 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 Dr. Quay, like I know that all of them, well, of course they're all doctors, but I I know that all of them have had similar experiences when they've submitted papers. You know, get that twenty four hour turnaround. Yeah, 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 just slip every time. Slip it in, and uh, there it comes. Yeah, accepted. Uh, no changes required. Happens all the time. A laboratory yeah. origin. Instead, we discussed three possible origin scenarios. The first scenario was direct spillover from a bat to a human. The second was spillover from a bat to an intermediate animal and then to a human. The third scenario was a lab origin. We considered the possibility that some of SARS-CoV-2 features, including a receptor binding domain and a furin cleavage site, may have arisen during passage in the laboratory. We quickly observed these noble features in related coronavirus, which coronaviruses, which provided the straightforward evolutionary path for SARS-CoV-2 to emerge in nature. We concluded that natural origin scenarios were most plausible. They um, that's, that's just completely false. That was all conjecture. Uh, none, of these, none of these pathways have been confirmed. <laughs> it's just... That's a bull-faced lie right there. Yes. I mean, granted, but this, but see, this is why 
this is why I, this is why I, one of the questions that I wanted them to ask was to focus on this, on the things that they had plagiarized because, because we need to just nuke this paper. We need to stop pretending that this paper has any relevance because right now all he's doing is saying, well, we have this peer reviewed publication and in it we made these conclusions and he's forgetting the fact that, you know, they lied and distorted. Um, but that's why we have to just nuke the paper because they're just going to keep leaning on it because, well, it, it was in nature medicine or communications or whatever. So, so it must be true because it passed peer review, Kevin. Yes. Well, you know, the, it passed peer review. That, that magic, uh, quality don't control. be racist don't be racist your <laughs> review is a perfect system gosh it, it, it is when there's tens of millions of uh grants up for grabs and uh they're all lining up for it jostling at the uh pig trough based on the then available scientific evidence we did not believe that laboratory based scenarios including bioengineering were plausible much new evidence in support of the natural origin of SARS-CoV-2 has accumulated since we wrote proximal origin the Hanan right. that's it <laughs> this should be good. This should be good. This uh, uh, the SARS collection next to the toilets and Mojang room where there was no raccoon dog. <laughs> is that is that really where he's going to go? What he's going to try and play? Oh no! Of course, of course. Oh no! That's so so bad. Market in Wuhan was shown to be the shown to be the early epicenter of the COVID nineteen outbreak. Most of the earliest diagnosed human cases from December 2019 lived in immediate, the immediate neighborhood around this market, including... Um, nope. I think you've begged to disagree, uh, Shogun Rikasu. Oh, well, I happen to be a world expert in that, too. Mm. Nope. Negatron. Mm. Negatron. Um, I'm, I'm, putting a, I'm putting a meme into the Discord uh, because it's important that I do that. Uh, this please, please do. Uh, you yeah, put it, it in the live good. stream chat. Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, but but basically, what I want people to understand is that, uh, well, <laughs> these are not uh, these are not disinterested folks. There may or may not be conflicts of interest involved with these people. And let me show you how this actually works. Maybe maybe I can find Hopefully my there. cock-linked glycans one. The, uh, do, 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 the do. Godfather. So, yes, <laughs> that's a yeah, great. So, so zoom it. So if you can zoom, if you can zoom that up real real big, because I want people to see it. Um, it because so let's look at this real fast. Let's see. Oh oh, let's look at the names on here. Huh. Ian Lipkin. Ian Lipkin. So one of the proximal origin authors. So by the way, for people, these are the this is the top twelve-ish, I guess. These are these are the individuals who receive the most funding. I want to say over like a five-year period from from the NIH. Like overall, this is where Fauci throws down the monies. Okay, these are the top, like amongst all of those scientists. And let's see who they are. Uh, Ian Lipkin, Proximal Origin author, 227 million. 
And once again, I believe this is a five-year cycle. It, it could be 10, but I believe it's five. Ralph Barrick, 123 million. Wait, he's not on the oh. proximal origin paper. No, he's not, but he's, <laughs> you know, he made, he made the virus. So, you know, whatever. Um, so, oh, oh, look, and who's number five? That's right. Robert Gary, $55 million. Now, now, Kevin, you've you've received grants before. Yeah. You know, you, you've worked on grants. Okay, so so how is fifty five million a lot of money for grants? Yes, absolutely. In a five year period. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a lot of freaking money. I mean, there's only Fauci only doles out four billion dollars a year. Like oh, I say, only but total, you're looking at you know, like 20% of it right here in these 12 individuals. Yeah, it's, it's amazing so, that it's all going to this viral um, discipline. It's, uh, it's it's disturbing, actually. Well, well, yeah, but so, okay, so Robert Gary, 55 million. Um, are, you, are, you, are you sure this is five-year periods or total over lifetime? It's because, not. Well, it's definitely not like that. It's. I, it's I don't, such I a such a extraordinary amount of money. The usual RO one grant. Also, I, I want to say is like right, five but, million. Right, right, but these aren't one grant. Like so. So, yeah, so, what so people they're, need to understand is Eric Topol. Like so, Eric Topol is in charge ten... of scripts. Yes, they they have they uh, like Eric Topol is in charge basically in charge of scripts. So he's pulling in the dough. That's why he's number one. Ian Lipkin is is the big is the big cheese at Columbia. So same with Ralph Barrick at UNC. Like you're talking about these are the these are the dudes. Now I, I don't remember all the specific details because I don't I don't care. I don't need whether this it, it, would, it wouldn't matter if it was five years or a career lifetime. It, in in terms right. of right that, that type of is, money, this is massive. Yes. This is massive amounts of money. Okay, I, I'm not worried about the details at this moment because, well, because the point is just to say that this is the top. This is Especially the top for 12. fucking virology, dude. <laughs> this is the, this is the top twelve. So look at look at all you have. You have Mark Dennison, who co-created uh, Remdesivir with uh, Ralph Barrick. <laughs> You have Christian Anderson, uh, who I listed as the bad idea fairy. Um, uh, Twenty-three million. That include the uh, Creed grants that that he got. He got eight um, nine million. I I don't remember if this is before or after the Creed pro quo. Um, but Peter Hotez ten million, and Peter Dashik, of course, fourteen million. So, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say this is over more than one grant cycle. Okay, we'll say we'll, we'll, we'll say it's ten years. Yeah. I don't. It's not lifetime. At least, I mean, if it is, it doesn't really matter. The point is that even if it was like your a whole so forty large. year career, it's an extraordinary amount of money, right? There's only so many PCR yeah. machines you can buy, <laughs> postdocs you need to run them, and. Uh, yeah. Wow, that is an extraordinary sum. 
yeah. of money right there. Right. Yeah. Like somebody can add that up. I mean, that's, well, that's more than half a billion dollars right there. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I just want, so this is the context. So look, Robert Gary's number five on this list. Christian Anderson's number 10. So if you think if he, if, if combined, they've received $78 million from Fauci. What do you think they're going to say right now? Right. <laughs> Stunning, dude. And the fact that he's with his shaky voice right now trying to play the innocent, right? It's disgusting. It really yeah. is. Yes. Fifty. <laughs> $55 million. And a couple of pandemics under his belt. Huh. Hey, you got to start something to stop. <laughs> to stop him, so. uh, anyway, continue. Let's, let's go back to the... I, right. That is just more context. Yeah, that's that's good context to add. So just just think about it, folks. He's there trying to protect his little piece of the little piece of the pie. He's his fifty-five million dollar piece of the pie. <laughs> yeah. Those who did not work or shop there. In contrast, no clustering was observed in 2019 around the campuses of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, as would be expected if entry of SARS-CoV-2 into humans involved a laboratory accident. Lie. Um, yes, lie. <laughs> And uh, actually, please. actually, I have a, I have a preprint um, that was that was deleted off Zenodo, which we didn't even know was possible, and thankfully we put back on. But uh, I have a preprint that goes through all of the peer-reviewed literature and shows that that's BS, and that actually there's there's five thousand eight hundred and nine missing cases from the two districts where you have the Wuhan Institute of Virology and its BSL-4 lab being Wu Chang and Zhangxia, respectively. So um, so that's actually incorrect, um, Bobby, because we have the truth. And, well, it's just incorrect. Yeah. So, man, they, they really hate me. They really hate me. Oh, yeah. You're a, you're a, you're a pandemic pooper. <laughs> Can I say message? I've been, I have I have shit all over their Wheaties. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Censorship, diffuse this stuff. Not, not even the watchmaker stuff. Wow. Wow. Good. I hope they hate me. Because yeah. I hate them. Let it burn, bro. I hate, <laughs> let it burn. I hate liars who let people die. So yeah, know, man. Like, like the the fact that they're sitting there and that they've consciously work their way through this line for line figuring out what they're going to say as they're as they're sitting there at night when they're when they've got those little moments of doubt existential doubt oh my god am i gonna lose that when are people gonna find out what i've been up to and uh I can you can be sure like this isn't someone that's confident about what it is that he's doing or saying he's reading word for word from a script. Yeah, look at body language. We, yeah. we should, we, remember the body language from the twins? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so yes, this is a this is the sequel to that body language episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's worse because he's he's more directly involved, right? And oh yeah, we're we're talking about it. it doesn't get much closer. Mm. It, I mean, unless Ralph Barrick and Fauci were sitting down here. Mm. And, uh, and Xi Jinping, 
this yeah. is pretty i wonder pretty i wonder much if um, i wonder if they'd watch our breakdown of the testimonies or if they're just watching oh i hope so <laughs> i hope so <laughs> because really uh are. we're uh we're coming for you we're coming for you we're not stopping see you in court yeah see you in court <laughs> the distribution of SARS-CoV-2 in the, in the Hanan market is also important. SARS-CoV-2 positive samples were clustered in the southwest corner of the market, where live SARS-CoV-2 susceptible mammals... Next to the toilets, in the Mojang room, where there was no, oh, just barely, barely any wild animal reeds. We need the... Uh, we need... Where's Jow when you need him? There was one. There was... <laughs> hey, hey, there was one... Raccoon dog weed. Yeah. Now, granted, it was out of 100 million. And also, granted, it was in a sample where there was no SARS CoV 2. But. It was human. But there was. No, but that doesn't count. Andrew <laughs> Rasmussen said that that doesn't matter. Okay. So. Yeah. Focus, focus on that one read, Lexfields. Peons. <laughs> listen, listen to your betters here. I'm going to eat a Snickers. I'm going to eat a Snickers. Yeah, go for it. Mm. In March 2023, my colleagues and I found that raccoon dog and civet cat DNA and RNA were present in the wildlife stall that contained the highest numbers of SARS-CoV-2 positive samples in the market. Oh, he's tripping over his words nope. there. Nope. Negatron. Nope, that's the problem. Is that they didn't find them in the same samples. Oops. Oops, yeah, oops. That was a lie. That was a lie. This is equivalent to again, carrying the main yep. suspect's DNA at the exact scene of the crime. Theories of COVID-19 must be investigated in a transparent manner. The subcommittee, for example, was told that the cleavage of the furin site reorients the receptor binding domain so that it can specifically bind to a human receptor. This is untrue. The same witness described human arginines, which do not exist. Three and a half years into the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we should um, pick that apart Whoa. because Wait, did he just say? Wait. The Furing yeah, cleavage have, site does, yeah, the Furing cleavage site does is is not involved in the uh, infectious process, and the arginines. What, what did he say? The arginines are not there or, or not important. No, after this again. In March 2023, my colleagues and I found that raccoon dog and civet cat DNA and RNA were present in the wildlife stall that contained the highest numbers of SARS-CoV-2 positive samples in the market. This is equivalent to finding a smoking <laughs> gun carrying the main suspect's DNA at the exact scene of the crime. No, it's not, especially when you're lying about what the data says. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I, I, we should be writing down notes of... Uh... So, so let me explain. Let me explain this to folks. Well, the sequences, so they take these samples, and then they, they basically, they, I mean, I'm, I'm actually like blanking on the name of the sequencing now, but the, the metagenomic, like, when they take the full picture of what's in the sample, I want, I want people to understand. I want to. I want to thank Doc Keck just for putting this quote in the uh, in the Discord chat, right? Um, 
it's uh it's by at by realism holtz on uh twitter and uh i really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from bat virus or one very similar to it uh to it to enkov where you insert exactly four amino acids 12 nucleotide that all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function that and you don't change any other amino acid in s2 i just can't figure how yes. how this gets accomplished in nature <laughs> you know what they're doing they're quoting from my memes because that is what robert gary said privately mm. In the emails. That's Robert Gary's quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, no, but what I, here's what I was going to say. All right, folks. Imagine, the, let's say that you take a, you have a sample, and you pick up these reads, these tiny pieces of different things, and there's one out of 100 million that's raccoon dog. So some part of some raccoon dog... DNA appeared in the sample. One read. I bet if you looked hard enough, you could find one sperm in in that sample. I bet if you looked hard enough, you could find a lot of fecal matter, human fecal matter in that sample. You can find all sorts of stuff in there. Um Wait, are you saying that are you saying mean, that are you saying those Chinese market workers are whacking off in the in the toilets there? That's disgusting. That's disgusting. Well, I'm just saying that it's that <laughs> look, next to the toilet you're gonna find fucking everything, right? And and it's a delivery entrance as well. So everything's tracked through there. And whatever that little uh, Mojang circle jerk room was <laughs> Maybe there, maybe there was some right. <laughs> some cooming done in there. The point is, no, I, I I was just saying like the cooming could have been done at home. We're talking about such tiny, right? Bit like bits, like it could come from anywhere. So this notion, I you, you're more likely to find um, semen remnants than you are to find. This single—I bet you find multiple semen remnants as opposed to a single raccoon dog read. So, what, what would that mean? That 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 uh, SARS-CoV-2 is is an SCD? No, that's not what it means. So, we, we can say whatever we want, but that doesn't make it true. And like I say, the fact Hopefully that, the whole... you know, they should be able to interrupt and say, but isn't that next to the toilets, right? And, and these are open toilets. These aren't, these aren't the luxury Japanese toilets, bro, with uh, warm seats and little washlets that uh, clean everything up. <laughs> hey, these are... Uh... <laughs> I've been converted. Right. Converted. <laughs> Stage two civilization, sir. Right. <laughs> They're doing it better over here. That is true. <laughs> All right, we still didn't get to the fit about the arginines and the furin cleavage site. <laughs> Just well, it's going to be a lie. We're only going to make it about five seconds. Cause... I know. Theories of COVID nineteen must be investigated in a transparent manner. The subcommittee, for example, was told that the cleavage of the furin site reorients the receptor binding domain so that it can specifically bind to a human receptor. This is untrue. The same witness described human arginines, which do not exist. 
three and a half years into the COVID-19. Okay. 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 So, all right. So the human arginines do exist. The CGG, CGG, those do exist. That's real, man. I think that's that's consensus sequence right there. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a it, like that's the reference sequence. You can look at the nucleotide. That's what that is. Okay. Now, the first thing you said was that uh, something about how the furin cleavage doesn't was, it doesn't was, orientate was for the ACE2 receptor. Okay. Right. No shit, because it's different. Yes. Different process. <laughs> hey, see, there's Sir, if you go if you go into uh, PubMed and you search ACE2 independent Mm-mm. and just search that phrase, you'll you'll learn neuropillin one, you'll yeah. learn urine cleavage, you'll learn about all these different other ways, DC sign, all these other different ways, ACE2 independent that don't require ACE2. So what he so both things that he just said are absolute bullshit lies, and he knows it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's still my opinion that there is no credible scientific evidence for a lab-based origin for SARS-CoV-2. We do remain dangerously ill-equipped to prevent or manage the emergence of novel viruses. I support the efforts of the subcommittee to better understand... I, I, don't, I don't think that at all. Um, I don't think we need any more effort. In fact, in fact I think we could pull... <laughs> Like, this is literally starting to sound like a sales pitch. He needs he needs another fifty five million, bro. <laughs> yes, that's a problem. Fifty five million. Fifty five million isn't enough, Kevin. It's not enough. Fifty five million dollars to this guy isn't enough. Who this guy who just said who who just said that? Well, that the CGG CGG has has nothing to do. It's not human. When actually. That's exactly what it is. In fact, that's why it stands out because it is human. How, how dare you? It's exactly. How dare you show them Rick Those those codons are everywhere. They're everywhere in scientist. the real world. I'm not a scientist, so I'm sure they are everywhere. God, what? Just you know what? Pay me fifty-five million dollars, and I suppose I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I would have such have these morals too. I don't know. Look, man, that's a lot of money. And people will do a lot for uh, for that amount of dough, for sure. It's... Peter Dasik Peter makes, makes, between, depending on the year, now he makes $400,000 a year. But he was making $300,000 a year before. Oh, shit. Hard times, bro. <laughs> yeah, hard times. That must be why he needed to, to take the the payroll protection plan loans. Right, he did that. <laughs> no. These people. Hashtag, they always come through, folks. Always, always, always. He did it twice. He did it twice. Jeez. He did it the week that it, that it became available. And then, like, the day that he could reapply again six months later, he did it again. 750 grand each time. Wow. Which, by the way... Fauci only paused three hundred and sixty-eight or three hundred and sixty-nine thousand. So he got double that <laughs> twice. And then Fauci ultimately gave him the three sixty-nine that Trump right. said he couldn't have. Right. He still Again, got anyway. it. Still got it. And more since. And more. 
Wow. Yeah, well, 20 million more cents, yeah. God. <laughs> Understand the origins of coronavirus pandemics. Understanding borrow origin plays an important role in developing strong policies that help prevent the next potential pandemic. Thank you. I now recognize Dr. Anderson to give an opening statement. Thank you. Chairman Winstrup, Ranking Member Louise Reese, and members of the Select Subcommittee. I'm Christian Anderson, Professor oh, of Scripps Research. I've spent most of my scientific career studying infectious diseases, including origins. Today's hearing is targeted at a paper my colleagues and I published titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. In this paper, we concluded that the virus very likely emerged as the result of a zoonosis, that is, a spillover from an animal host. This remains the only scientifically supported theory for how the virus emerged. Wrong, wrong, and again, um, that's, they don't provide evidence for zoonosis. What they do is they make an argument for, well, um, the backbone isn't recognized, right? That's, that's the tenor of that paper, and the... Sorry, sorry, I'm busy, Kevin. You're not, you're not watching the screen. I can't I'm see you, actually. I don't know what's wrong with Zoom, but um, well, when I'm sharing the screen, you disappear Let's for go. some reason. So that's why. That's wow, why I'm that's racist. Yeah, well, sorry. Anyway, bro. I, was, I was showing. I was showing. I had written down fifty-five million for. Uh, I can oh, stop oh. sharing the screen and you come back on, but I don't know what's happening whilst. Um, well, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I was wrong. I was wrong. It was actually twenty-three million for Anderson. Well, he's he's just uh, he's just getting started. Right? Just a little piker. I just want to keep that. He is a little piker, yeah. yeah. Twenty-three million. Yeah, so he's he's down there with the. Uh, well, I was going to say, chemical alleys of this world, but um, that's a lot of shekels. <laughs> yes, it is. If convincing new evidence were to be discovered suggesting otherwise, we would of course revise our conclusions. This is science. My initial hypothesis was that SARS-CoV-2 <laughs> was likely an engineered virus. <laughs> I had to walk that 20, back. I had to walk it back for uh, twenty-three million dollars. <laughs> says he's not, he's, he's not going to be revising his sign. Right. <laughs> this was based on just, just, and just just a wild stab in the dark, sir. Yeah, I'm just analyses why I had absurd features that are the dice. unique. Yeah. However, we soon discovered that those features are readily found in related coronaviruses, and the virus itself. <laughs> Which features? The fear and cleavage site hasn't been found yet. Um, what they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna point to? Well, and like I say, any any virology that comes after this has to be um, looked at very very skeptically, right? The uh, the BAM virus from. Uh, uh, Laos, was it? Bam 23? Oh, the b banal? Banal 23. Yeah. Um, all, all of that, <clears throat> I, I, would, um, I would be very, very skeptical of. And um, Christian uh, Anderson is, is a senior scientist who's pulled in $23 million for scripts, Kevin. Have you pulled in $23 million for scripts? I've kept my soul intact, bro. <laughs> you know? Well, I've now, got kids. Now we know. Now we know how much a soul costs. <laughs> so. Well, here's 
I don't know, man. He dropped 23 million in front of me. <laughs> it said, shut up. I don't know, man. That would be, that would be a, a long thought process in my mind. Well, it's good to know that you have a... $23 million, dollars, have... bro? Jesus Christ. Twenty-three million is a lot of money. Yes, <laughs> you can do. It's slightly, it's slightly more than I'm making right now. I just slightly. the amount of research that I pulled off just with fractions of that. So, so if you don't, if you don't mind, I'm just curious to know, like, total in your entire career of, of dozens of papers, yeah. like, like, like how much funding. You had total. Oh, depending on like shared grants and like facilities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't like it. Size uh, doesn't matter. Um, it's okay. I would, I would say, a million, a million dollars over over twenty so, years. So orders of magnitude more is what we're. Oh yeah, yeah. Is what we're yeah, and, and and they're doing fucking virology. They're not. Well, I mean, they do do some uh, animal work and culture work, but that doesn't cost that much uh, <laughs> money, bro. <laughs> it's not once once those things are set up. Um, this is and again, this is just indicative of how um, rotten science is and you know there's there's so many middlemen that you're having to uh deal with um and so that does sort of jack the price up of stuff right so you have to deal with uh importers etc particularly in japan <laughs> uh, which is problematic but and the, the the money that they're pulling in for the type of research that they're doing no way no how um so uh, it's it's a con game um well, apparently in the in the live stream chat, there's a video that says Randy has sex with a bat. Who who has sex from with a bat? Uh, oh, well, that Park. clip! That clip's great. Um, <laughs> I can play it. <laughs> Have you ever seen it? Well, no, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Hang on. Uh... Hang on. Wait. Oh, I've got to sign in to confirm my age. I don't have a YouTube account. Find me one that's. Uh... Oh. oh, that's funny. Okay. Well, anyway. Okay, <laughs> Fuck well, YouTube. Actually, so, I don't so have a YouTube actually, account because of these censorious. Ones. So, well, on the hey, on the bright side, since you mentioned it, I just dropped another picture into the chat, just to provide a little more context. Once again. Ah, oh, jeez. I can do it. There's so... Yeah, it's just... Uh... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, so, so this is a list sorted by type of virus of which they wrote origin stories for. And, and you can see that this stretches back for a long time. So... Um, so Gary and Anderson have been the two most prolific origin authors. They were all about the Ebola virus. Uh, obviously, SARS-CoV-2. Both of them 
we're writing the origins of the Lassa virus, Lassa fever. Um, both of them played a role in the obviously proximal origin and also in Zika. So I'm not saying there's a correlation, but if from right to left, uh, you see the faces uh, like in the middle, because obviously Farrar and, and Foucher on the side, but in the middle, we have Anderson, we have Gary, Eddie Holmes, Andrew Rambo, uh, Trevor Bedford, Michael Orobi, uh, Jeremy Picard, and Bette Corber. And, and so what I did was, is I took all of them and I, and I showed which papers they were authors on. And you can see that this same basic crew. Of course, our streaming platform got round uh, YouTube restrictions, but uh, sorry, I <laughs> carry on. Uh, what, uh, what if I could just give a comment um, again, looking, <laughs> looking at the, uh, the publication, uh, the man, publishing houses and journals in which these uh, papers have been uh, presented to the world. Science, New England Journal of Medicine, PNAS, Nature, Nature. Um, all, this is the top. Yeah, all, all very high impact. And what we've, what we've come to learn is, is that there's a very small network, nepotistic, epstonized network that's back scratching each other and um, probably a whole bunch more to get these and I'm maintain sure. th this um this publishing pipeline and grant funding pipeline this is just a rip off to the to the taxpayers no, that... i'm sure i'm sure it's just random chance that the same people who are getting paid 78 million dollars <throat> also happen to have been writing the origins and, and rewriting the origins for hiv as it turns out um for all these different viruses. Gary is actually the most widespread. He actually covered, I think, all of them. He was, Gary was there for Zika. He was there for Ebola, Gulf War Syndrome, which is how Meryl Nass like, came to meet him, uh, Lassa fever, and SARS-CoV-2. So you, Robert Gary has literally, he's written the Proximal Origin paper for all of those different viruses. And Tulane University is ground zero for the CIA. The deep well, and state. Remember, and, and remember, they wrote the origin story for the Ebola Zaire outbreak after they were kicked out of the country. <laughs> so it was so it was actually it was actually Anderson and Gary who were two of the lead authors on that paper. Oh well, look, bro, when life when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Yeah, because that's the one the second from the top. It's genomic surveillance elucidates Ebola virus origin and transmission during the twenty fourteen outbreak. Yeah. Oh really? Well it's interesting. How did you have access to those samples? <laughs> because they confiscated all of your equipment and kicked you out of the country. They were stuffing it down their pants, dude, to uh, get it through customs. Oh my god, these, these people are evil. Anyway. Yeah, well, so, um, uh, just to uh, a bit of yeah, levity as we uh, 
look into the dark face of evil. <laughs> this is South Park. WTYL, folks. Uh, uncensored uh, streaming. I mean, doesn't this mean things are finally going back to normal? Dad? I gotta go! <laughs> well, you know. So, so our, our coverage of the, uh, I can guarantee that our coverage of the, uh, Congressional hearings is going to be a higher quality than yeah, far more entertaining and far more yeah. informative, folks. Yeah, you get you get it all here. So, <laughs> yes, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone needs to put Anderson's head on the. On that little clip looks to be a clear product of natural selection and not actual engineering. Allow me to briefly outline how we went from these early. Oh, he's going to outline how they got to these conclusions, Charles. Uh, listen, you're not a scientist. Sit down. <laughs> is, he, yeah. is he going to outline the $23 million or? Like, I, I, I presume that there's some some facade of uh, attempt at uh, scientific discourse. Let's uh, let's hear what he says. Let's watch the body language. Hypotheses to later conclusions. <laughs> First, proximal origin was based on scientific evidence and analyses by a team of international experts with extensive track records in studying. Uh, let me just uh, find that. With extensive track records in uh, censoring things, erasing evidence, and making their own origin stories. That's yes, correct. And uh, my that's what uh, we just showed. My ugly mug is in the way there. Extensive. But, um, Yes, they've got a long, long track record, folks, and uh, a big, big slice of the pie. You have to see, ask yourself see, why. I got you, Christian. I got you, Christian. Mm. Uh, see, I'm here for you. Here for <laughs> you. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, international experts, Charles. You're not scientists, and all you lick spills. Sit down. Don't you dare. It's my problem is I keep reading into it too much because I'm not a scientist. Yeah. My apologies. Miscuse. That data, you just you're just not approaching it correctly, Charles. You just don't have the uh you don't have the uh the the lenses that they have that uh fifty five million dollars the optics that that can buy you, right? The only best Nikon. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> These fucking people, man. These fucking people. Being infectious disease emergence. Second, the paper was peer reviewed by independent experts, resulting in multiple revisions. <laughs> well, we've gone over that already. Third, yeah, oh, we have continued to pursue. You mean like, like a revision where you took Gary's, so the guy on the left hand side, so you took Gary's mentor's paper out? After you plagiarized his work, yes. <laughs> so you mean that revision? Because I have, because I've saved, I have saved all ten versions of 
the edits from virological.org. And you know what? Gallagher's name was on there the entire time, but magically it disappeared for the Nature of Medicine paper. Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. They even, they even managed to acknowledge Mike Farzan, but not, but not oh, Bill no. Gallagher. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder at what point that decision was made, and who did it. Because for uh, sure, I don't, I don't know when. I don't know when it was made. I know why it was made. Right. I mean, it, I but, it and it was. I'm. I'm convinced it was Gallagher that sent the email. No, Kevin, to, I'm showing you. Oh, you can't see me, Kevin. You can't. See I, me, I can't. Kevin. I can't see you, bro. That's. Uh, I, I, I can I'm stop the share. I can stop the I'm share. Waving and... a bunch of bills. I'm waving a bunch of bills. At the... Oh, okay. Dollar bills, yeah, like like yen. Okay. Anyway, that's why they couldn't see it. Got lost. Got lost. All right. So uh, a team of a team of international grifters authored the paper. It got peer reviewed, and uh, the uh, the fusion inhibitor creator and discoverer of fusion peptides was removed. What's number three? Yeah. Independent investigations into the origin of the pandemic and published our results. Fourth, additional research by other researchers support our early conclusions. <laughs> Warabi. Warabi's why don't we, uh, Yeah, why don't we... Well, I just wanted to go and list them. Like, I want to hear what this is. Who are these people? Yeah. Um, now, remember... Let's see. So 78 million. Now remember that, what was it? Uh, I can't remember the exact number. Uh, but I want to say it was like, to what, 220? Um, that, that Ian Lipkin had, let's just say it's 221 or something. Yeah. So that's $300 million in grant funding. And that's only three of the five proximal origin authors. $300 million. Dollars, million. Anyway, so I'm sure I'm sure there was there was no politics involved. Yeah. How, how dare you? Uh, how dare you think that there would be such uh, such brazen conflicts of interest, Charles? It's just I, uh... I, I apologize for besmirching science, <laughs> but uh, but three hundred million dollars. Today, I hope to share more about this important research with Thanks the goal do. of being better prepared for future pandemics. Yes. <laughs> However, I must first address several allegations made about our work. Let's have it. Select subcommittee majority has alleged that our paper was orchestrated by Dr. Anthony Fauci to cover up a lab origin of SARS-CoV-2 as directed during a February 1, 2020 conference call. It has also been suggested that a grant awarded to myself and colleagues from five different countries was a quid pro quo for changing our conclusions. Uh, it was. <laughs> we know it. Pro quo. <laughs> wow. These allegations are false. First, the claim that Dr. Fauci prompted the drafting of proximal origin to disprove the lab leak is not true. In an email to the journal Nature, I stated, prompted by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins, we have been working through much of the primarily genetic data to provide agnostic and scientifically informed hypotheses around the origin of the virus. Agnostic. Nice. Yeah. Agnostic. 
300 million dollars of agnosticism. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't find any virions in the piles of that. I can't find any needles in this haystack made of pure gold. Wow. There was no prompting to disprove or dismiss a potential lab leak. No burner phones, Charles. <laughs> no burner phones and uh, no on emails. No prompting. No <laughs> prompting. Except, except when they said that this is a dangerous conspiracy. And Fauci said, uh, don't worry, it'll pass with time. Right. No prompting. No prompting. Or is it Colin saying... Uh... That's they're, correct. Talking, they're talking about weapons and uh, what 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 can the what yes. can the science foundation do? What can the National Science Foundation so do? The exact, so, so the exact two people that he names were the exact people who were doing exactly what he claims weren't doing. But, and we have like it's in writing, <laughs> and they're still lying about it. Man, well, look, man, if, if you're going down with your ship, you might as well just stick to it right well, well I, the good thing is money floats so <laughs> well depends if it's gold bars or not <laughs> uh, that's true in fact when i outlined my initial hypothesis about a potentially engineered virus dr fauci told me and i'm paraphrasing here if you think this virus came from a lab you should write a scientific paper about it not only is this not a prompt to disprove the lab leak theory, it was specifically predicated on our initial hypothesis of a lab-associated virus. The allegations that... Oh, pineapples. Pineapples. So, so he, he, he has thus far neglected to mention the fact that, that then Dr. Fauci said, well, and if it does look suspicious, then, then we should contact the FBI and or you know, similar authorities in the relevant countries. And, you know, once again, that's probably true. Like, I mean, it, you that's who you would contact if that was the case. However, Dr. Fauci knew that three weeks earlier than this, and he didn't contact them, and nobody's ever asked him why. But that's a fact. Right. Let the lies continue. Prompted the drafting of proximal origin to disprove the lab leak is quote mine from an email I wrote to participants of the February 1 conference call. The scientific method is based on two basic concepts of one, formulating hypotheses, and two, testing those hypotheses. Yeah, you got, you got to test them, bro. Go preach it. Preach it. Preach it. You know, real actual, real actual data, not, uh, not assumptions. Uh, Kevin, shut up. A scientist is speaking. Right. Well, I am a scientist, bro. I can, I'm, I'm allowed to speak. Yeah. Well, what does that make me? <laughs> oh, jeez. Back myself in the corner there. All right. <laughs> All right. So I, I forgot what he just said now. It was, uh, what did he it say? Doesn't like, yeah. It doesn't Offering matter. Often by trying to disprove them. My initial hypothesis was a lab theory. When I stated that we were trying to disprove any type of lab theory, I was specifically referring to us testing our early hypothesis. This is textbook science in action. 
How did you Someone test it? that I received a federal grant in exchange for the- You did! You motherfucker! Conclusions made in our proximal origin paper. There is no connection between the grant and the paper. Funding decisions oh, on the grant oh, were made before the pandemic, God. months before- oh. A month Probably before. Solid. A month- a month before proximal origins. <laughs> conflict- conflict of interest erased. Well, I feel so much better now. Wow. He said it. He said it. He said it unequivocally. So, like, don't and, be and, a and the thing Kevin. is, it's it's it's. Look, he's not. He, he didn't just uh, emerge out of the woodwork, uh, sending an email to Fouch's office. Oh, um, there's something we need to look at. You know, as you've demonstrated, um, this is a well-organized group. Uh, they've been operating, doing the same thing for decades, and. Um, People should keep that in mind as they as they listen to him and uh, he talks about, you know, yes, his grants would have been submitted. Like any scientist, you submit grants every year. Now, I'm sure on those burner phones, he was told, yes, uh, you make sure that uh, this goes away quietly and uh, we'll make sure that uh, you have a easy run of it when it comes to grant selections. Guarantee you. the February 1 conference call. In closing, we live in a world in which the risk of devastating... And, and let's, let's, just, let's just be clear here, right? These people, I think, knew that something was going on far, far earlier. Right? There's, uh... What's his... Callahan? That guy? Um... Uh, Callahan. The Wuhan uh, military games. Um... <laughs> It's very, very likely that um, this was circulating within this group far, far earlier with respect to what was happening. That is correct. That is correct. According to the epidemiology that, that Warobi has missed, even when I made him a list and I emailed it to him, well, when I messaged it to him and did it publicly, and then I made an even longer list with 226 articles, and he used eight of them. So I'm not saying that he could have brought it in his horizons, but eight out of 226. This, because uh, that's the science. This is, um, like I say, this, this should be getting deadly serious now, actually. I know we're sitting here having a laugh because it's just so absurd. But, because it's so ridiculous, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, this uh now now the rubber meets the road and we'll well we'll do our best to put these people to account and yeah something will happen guarantee that pandemics are real and it's ever increasing we need more research and commitment to science not less give us more money I need more money, Rexy. Fifty-five million, just for him. Three hundred million, just for three people who wrote the Proximal Origin, and they need more money because because that's the answer, and we should trust them. 
Speaking of which, folks, uh, thank you, Orlando, for a dono. Uh, anyone else that wants to, uh, please do feed the coon, feed the marine. <laughs> Make it rain. Make it rain. However, scientists, do to, including myself. Do I need to dance? Well, they can't see you at the moment, but if you want to um, do a little oh, jig, oh, right, can't, yeah. it can't hurt. Actually, actually, you might raise more money if they can't see me. <laughs> so, just the threat of... <laughs> <laughs> who dedicate their professional lives to impactful research are being targeted and used as pawns in a political game. I hope this hearing can be a starting point for more productive conversations and actions of working together to contribute to an increased knowledge of pandemics for our safety and the safety of future generations. Thank you. Thank you. I now recognize myself uh, for the questioning. Dr. Anderson, Dr. Gary, I want to again thank you both for coming today and offering your scientific insights on the origins of COVID-19. We appreciate your professional training and your experience as you outlined in your testimonies. Your role and voice in the ongoing public discussion about COVID's origin is an important one. In your letter with your co-signers to Nature Magazine, you highlight the notable features of SARS-CoV-2 genome that include, among other characteristics, its high affinity for human ACE2 and the presence of a polybasic furin cleavage site. Both characteristics enable the virus to infect humans effectively and contributes to SARS-CoV-2 ability to cause illness or pathogenicity. Your letter or opinion piece published in Nature Magazine in April of 2020 also indicates that some pangolin coronaviruses exhibit strong similarity to SARS-CoV-2 in the receptor binding domain, including all six key RBD residues. Your letter also states that this feature is found in some Malayan pangolins imported to Guangdong province. You have stated that pangolins may have played some role in the recombination event that led to the COVID pandemic. Is that correct? That is not correct. I don't think pangolins have played a role in the pandemic per se. The fact that we find similar viruses in pangolins and there is a recombinant history of the virus them themselves, however, that recombinant history is very likely in bats. Thank you, Dr. Gary. In, in pangolins. You're, you're... So, so I agree. I don't think there's a direct route from a pangolin to SARS-CoV-2. That's interesting because there were comments that might make people believe otherwise that weren't necessarily in proximal origin, but were in the comments made amongst yeah, the, there, the researchers. Would you agree with that, sir? I, I would agree with that, but there's been Thank a lot you. of extra work since then. Thank you. That, there has been. There has been a lot of extra work since three years ago. I would agree with that. And I think we should all be open-minded to that extra work. Um, so is it correct to say that in order for a recombination of coronaviruses to occur, that the susceptible animal, such as a pangolin, and the reservoir or host for the virus have to be in close physical contact and that the recombination events happen within the same subgenus of virus. But that, that, is correct? that is incorrect. As I already Here's stated, that, that re those recombination events likely happens in bats, not actually in pangolins. Well, there's, there's been discussion about it being coming from a pangolin. And I'm curious how a pangolin coronavirus found in Guangdong province could swap genes with susceptible animals in Hubei province. There's no reason to I'm not asking you a question right now, Dr. Anderson. Let me just finish my statement, please. We cannot conduct this in this manner, but I will let you speak. Because I'm making, I'm making a scientific point here based on some of the discussions that I saw take place between the members of the, of the authorship, okay? Watch that Ruiz in the corner. Look at him smiling.
again. Yeah, he's a slimy douchebag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll give you your chance to, to rebut it because we want the truth and we want to know the scientific process and we want to have the scientific discussion, not talking over each other, but actually having a discussion. Is that fair? That is fair. Okay. So Guangdong province is approximately 603 miles away from Hubei. You note in your committee testimony that high-risk animals were discovered at the Hunan market. You also note that genetic footprints of susceptible animals, specifically raccoon dogs, were found at the market. Were pangolins or bats sold in the Wuhan seafood market? Not that we know of. Not that I know of either. Has there been any genetic evidence for pangolin existence in the market? Not that we know of, no. Not that I know of either. Were any animal samples taken from the market positive for SARS-CoV-2 or from farms supplying the Wuhan animal markets? There were no relevant animals that could have been positive for the, for the virus yeah. sampled at the market because they had been removed prior and, to. But, but, or from the farms where they came from, none are reported. Um, yeah, let's, let's just remind people, uh, 80,000 samples, including supply chains, were tested. Nothing. Nothing. That is correct. There, there were zero positive. Just, just that one, one raccoon dog read. Samples. So, we're, so the, our, what we're supposed to believe is that that one raccoon dog read in a single sample that wasn't positive for SARS-CoV-2 is somehow indicative of something when 80,000 full samples from across China and in Wuhan we're all native. So Em is asking why yeah. they why is he focused on pangolin? So the receptor binding motif has a lot of similarity, but just the receptor binding motif is my understanding. Well, and that's and that's also because there's only one pangolin sequence, as I recall. They they basically use the same sequence in multiple papers without mentioning it. Which is actually scientific fraud. Oh yeah, we've just we've, Again. we've looked at a whole bunch of scientific fraud already today. The fact that Farrar is being yeah. um, ghostwriting and coordinating, and it, you know, their their claims to Fauci and Collins not having anything to do with this, um, you know, we found that that's nonsense. Um, you know, it's a very uh, paper thin defense that they're throwing up here what they're what they're relying on is the, the old boy networks getting them through through this and i think that play yeah. is is already done and um the well I, I don't know maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised with the direction that this um questioning is going but... uh, giggle yeah i mean i, I I wouldn't be focusing on pangolins right now, but I, get, I can see why he's trying to do it. He's just trying to um, remove remove the possibility that there was, or, or cast doubt on the fact that there was a market, there were combination events happening in the market. Were any environmental samples recovered from the market positive for SARS-CoV-2? Yes. Double. Now, Dr. George Gal. One's next to the toilets. Just don't forget that, folks.
I need my uh, toilet flush sound effect. The former director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control publicly stated that the Hunan seafood market was not likely the original source of the outbreak. Former CDC director in China. Stating that the market could have served as an amplifier or a super spreading venue. Could you see the market being a super spreader venue? The data is inconsistent with that scenario. <laughs> Uh, Charles, uh, I leave this one to you because I'm, I'm actually going to run to the, the bathroom. But um, the data is inconsistent. Yeah, please, uh, please tell us about um, A and B strains and uh, how how unlikely B. Well, they're they're dependent on the two zoonotic crossings with two two. They're Variants well, of concern, well, I guess. Well, once again, what they're doing is they're saying... And just that, explain to the the people talking, because I've drank so much uh, barley tea, I'm going to spring a leak, so bear with me. Evan, you need to be more prepared and just, like, bring... Oh, well, now he's leading. I was just going to say, like, bring a bottle, you know, bring a catheter or something next time. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> no, well... What what they're doing is that once again they're trying to convince people that that we can deduce from the first hundred and seventy four cases reported what happened during the early pandemic, and the problem with that is is that Chinese probably lied about that, and how do we know? Well, because the Chinese, when I looked at all of the data from the entire outbreak in Wuhan, what I discovered is, is that there was a massive manipulation taking place to the tune of a, of a net shift of more than 10,000 cases from the two districts within Wuhan, whether Wuhan Institute of Virology and their with BSL-4 lab are, had a 5,809 case increase. And the three districts around, and including the Huanan market, saw a 4,901 4, net or, or decrease in the number of cases. So if the Chinese were willing to lie about that, when I pulled that data from 38 separate studies and concatenated it and put it all together, why would we assume... Well, first of all, they, did, they weren't lying about that. What's more likely? That they're lying about a single source that was written directly by the CCP? Or... 38 studies aggregated together that show a completely different story. Um, and the answer is Apologies. that, well, the answer is, is that everything that we're talking about right now is irrelevant because they're talking about lineage A, lineage B, all this other crap. The point is, is that we, we don't have all the sequences. And they're just trying to pretend that the ones that we have 
might actually be legitimate. And the odds are incredibly stunningly high that that is not the case. Agreed. But I digress. Inconsistent or consistent? Inconsistent. Really? <sighs> People might argue that. The second genomic SARS-CoV-2 finding you mentioned in your written testimony cited the presence of a polybasic furin cleavage site, which contributes significantly. Dr. Anderson, is it plausible that such a furin cleavage site could be inserted by a scientist, such as in 2007 by U.S. research from Montana State University? Is it plausible? If you look at the furin cleavage site that we are specifically finding in SARS-CoV-2, it has never been used in experiments prior to this. Further, the furin cleavage site itself is suboptimal and likely out of frame. So I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong. Oh wow! So, the University of North Carolina actually used this specific furin cleavage site in cystic fibrosis research, um, and they fiddled with it. I believe with frog eggs. So yes, this specific. And by the way, North University of North Carolina happens just so happens to be the one place where Ralph Barrick works. Um. So. I'm sure. Yeah, just just, uh, just one of those things. Just suboptimal, Charles. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't design it that way. Um, I'm... There's there there's definitely a lot of things suboptimal about this. Uh, I agree with that. Hmm. Right. Suggesting I'm that this is a clear result of natural selection. So I'm hearing I'm hearing what you say, Doctor, and I appreciate that. But but you said something there that stands out to me. And I think you're referring to nothing ever published. And that doesn't mean it's not plausible or possible. And that's where I stand different from you. And I know, I know throughout a lot of the things that I'm reading, you've talked about nothing being published. A lot of things get published long after they're done, and some things never get published. And we'll get in. Um, I, I want to applaud uh, Dr. Wenstrup there for making that point. It is very, very relevant to the discussion. And the the reliance on that particular Griff network to say, oh, look, no, we're just looking at the literature. We can only look at the literature. Um, that's a that's a fallacy um, in the sciences. And maybe maybe Charles, you're going to lose that bet about diffuse. Oh. Maybe, maybe. Oh, five hundred yen. Mm into that. Are you aware of the proposal that EcoHealth Alliance submitted in March 2018 by the outline uh, their intent to work with researchers yes! at the Wuhan Institute of Virology to conduct genetic engineering that included inserting novel receptor binding domains? Uh, you owe me. <laughs> you owe me. You owe me. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good thing three, 500 yen is like $3, so it'll be okay. <laughs> Look, uh, you can buy me a beer at the weekend, so... Um, that, hey, that's all right. At least I'm up. here in Japan. Yeah. At least if, if, if I was in the United States, the beer would cost three times as much. So <laughs> it's actually worth yeah. You'll actually get a beer for that, so in, in a bar, so... Wow. Yeah. Okay. He just pulled diffuse out. So whether this is being teed up for them to deliberately try and play it down and just say, "Oh, it was never done. It wasn't funded." Um, let's let's see how this goes. Well, I mean, well, we already know what they're going to say. Mm. Uh, yeah, that wasn't funded, guys. That wasn't funded. Mm. 
Yeah, that that would um, be their fallback excuse, but that's bullshit. That is a bullshit excuse, folks. Found in SARS coronaviruses from the wild and human adapted furin cleavage sites to assess the effect of their infectivity in humanized mice and, according to Dr. Zengli Shi, possibly using palm civets. Are either of you aware of the proposal that EcoHealth Alliance submitted in March of 2018? I assume you referred to the proposal Diffuse. Yes, I'm aware of that. Dr. Gary? Based on your professional experience and training, could deliberate recombinant research result in a virus with characteristics consistent with SARS-CoV-2? I think it's important that we take a step back and focus on what's... No, 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 Anderson. Let's, uh, let's sit on this point here, which is that these, these grants, including NIH-funded grants, were looking to do exactly this, which was to make these recombinant... Right, yes, chimeras. We call this intent. We call this intent. And it's and, and like I say, diffuse is just one example. I bet I bet you if we could, you know, see every submission that they've done, and this is this is why some some fucking Rico case needs pulling, and everything that these people own needs, uh, even even if they've thrown it in a goddamn fly tip. Needs digging out and the documents forensically examining. And, well, you know, they've, they've perjured themselves already, but uh, let's. Well, thank God, we have, thank God we have the FBI to investigate. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, they're too busy looking at Hunter's uh, laptop scud pics, right? Making, <laughs> making those coom samples to spread everywhere possible versus mm. what is possible or probable and what we actually have evidence for. Anything is possible. In our own proximal origin paper, for example, we say that we cannot disprove or prove any of the origin hypotheses. That was true at the time of writing that paper. That is true today as well. However, it's important that we focus on what do we actually have evidence for? Oh, the public, <laughs> the public uh, domain, the, the published literature there. The weasel exactly and what do we have evidence for is that if you look at the diffuse proposal for example is that and i will admit it's a little messy written so it's not clear exactly what they're <laughs> little messy written uh well a bit like you're spoken english so we're gonna start or the parts of origin right at least at least in the diffuse proposal they admitted what they were trying to do proposing but first of all the work that's being proposed here is to be conducted in the united states not in china specifically they're talking about s2 proteolytic cleavage sites and glycosylation sites that's not the specific no. site that is actually present in fucking lie did he just say s2 yeah yeah steaming fat pile of bullshit straight up lie oh my god no, no, now, now the fusion peptide is an S2, and Gary knows all about that. But that is straight up bullshit, mm. what he just said. Someone's me to bring up, uh, you know, 
Fiat masochist asked me to bring up this paper. Fury cleavage site of the SARS coronavirus spike glycoprotein enhances cell-cell fusion but does not affect virion entry. Interesting. They're adding this to regular SARS. Is that the tenor of the paper? I don't want to get into it. Thank, thank you for the link, uh, Fiat Masochist. Um, I do know the paper. I'd have to um, read it again. But I think that's referring to the first SARS, them, them modifying it. So it was, it was being done. Uh, anything, anything more on that particular lie that he just said? No, I'm just letting it go. Then SARS 2. So if you look at the proposal of Diffuse and ask the question, could that plausibly have led to the creation of SARS-CoV-2, is that in the world of possibilities, sure. However, is it plausible to think that that would alert to this virus? My professional opinion on that is no. Wow. Wow. Literally, <laughs> The, the whole the whole shebang is in it and um he's he's putting his professional opinion on it charles uh, he's a scientist of course and well 20 22 23 million dollars uh sway that professional opinion well i mean yeah yeah God, I hope they yes. uh, do go more into diffuse here. You mentioned something, and, and, and I'm not saying this in some kind of an arrogant way, but you mentioned, I think there's times when we don't know what we don't know. And I think that needs to be considered. So when something is possible or plausible, we don't know one way or the other. And I sit on the Intelligence Committee. When COVID started, I was interested in what was happening as a physician. What is happening to people? How do we treat it? But we started finding other things. And it aroused our curiosity. So I, I will say that I think it's important that as more comes out, that you keep that in mind. I want to skip ahead to some of the things. There's more I would want to talk about. But I would say that there are so many revelations that have come about since the paper was written. I'm just curious that the Proximal Origins team would be willing to gather together and take another look at the lab theories with agnostic peer review, and can you do it without social media censoring or name calling, or should we rely on the work of Dr. Jean-Paul Chertien and Dr. Greg Cutlip for their more comprehensive and detailed approach that we see from their scientific report produced in May of 2020? Would you be willing to regroup and maybe take a look at evidence that has come out? Why would you ask Or maybe evidence that hasn't even been revealed to the public yet? As I stated in my opening statement, is there any new evidence that were to be on Earth suggesting that this could potentially have been associated with lab? Of course, we will consider that. However, it's important to understand, too, that the kinds of independent investigations that we have done as a scientific team are agnostic to the potential origin of the virus. We're simply looking at the virus itself. We're looking at early cases. We're looking at positivity of the samples. And those just happen to cluster around a particular market linked directly to the billion-dollar wildlife trade in China. That's an not the not the cluster that's south of the river linked to the multi-billion-dollar 
Biowarfare warfare medical countermeasures industry. Forget that one. Don't look at that, peon. Jesus. Dude. Man, I, I don't know how long this goes on, but um, please bring up uh, biowarfare and medical countermeasures. Please do that. Agnostic view of what does the evidence actually tell us. Dr. Gary, an answer to my question. Your microphone. Of course, we're willing to look at new evidence. I appreciate that. I now recognize the ranking member, Dr. Reese from California, for five minutes of questions. Or more. For more than five months, under the guise of investigating the origins of the novel coronavirus, the Select Subcommittee has scrutinized the drafting and publication of the Proximal Origin paper. The Select Subcommittee has demanded thousands of pages of internal documents from researchers involved in the paper, conducted transcribed interviews with these researchers, subpoenaed their private communications, and now called two of them to testify at today's hearing. We have undertaken all of this work, but to what end? Has targeting these researchers and probing the publication of this paper meaningfully advanced our efforts to prevent and prepare for future pandemics? Or has it been about fishing for evidence to prove their confirmation bias, their theories, with the goal of advancing a predetermined partisan narrative targeting Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and our nation's scientists and public health officials? Dr. Anderson, let me ask my first question to you. In your view, as a leading virologist who studies emerging pathogens, has the Select Subcommittee's examination of your paper done anything to prevent and prepare our nation for the emergence of future novel viruses? Not to my knowledge. Uh, what? Uh, like um, highlighting that these people are receiving massive funds linked to biowarfare research and medical countermeasures, making that publicly aware into the, into the mind of the people. That hasn't, that hasn't helped uh, in preventing the next... <laughs> The next outbreak? Oh, I don't know, man. Where's this Ruiz from? California, did he say? You should, uh, are you still there, dude? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes. It's Ruiz from California? Hello? I'll yeah. Just, yeah, he's from California. Is that is that what? Um, hang on. Dr. Ruiz was noted for his work assisting humanitarian efforts in the aftermath of the 2010 Haiti earthquake. Oh, so he's a human trafficker. He's part of these Epstein networks too. <laughs> Color me not fucking surprised. Wow. Wow. Knowledge, no. Okay, Dr. Gary. Same question to you. Has the Select Subcommittee's examination of the Proximal Origin paper done anything to prevent and prepare our nation for the emergence of future novel viruses? Not to this date. Okay. When I joined the Select Subcommittee as ranking member, I hoped that we could work together on the challenging but critically important mission of identifying forward-looking solutions to prevent and prepare for future pandemics. It's mantle the biowarfare medical countermeasures industries. 
will go a long way to solving this problem. You know, I'm an emergency medicine physician. I want actionable items to do something that will help relieve pain, suffering, and save lives. I take that doctor's approach in my work in Congress, and I want to do meaningful work that will help save lives, prevent a future pandemic, and prepare for the future pandemic. And this included taking a serious look at whether SARS-CoV-2 emerged from a natural zoonotic transfer or from a research-related incident so that we could propose substantive policies to prevent the emergence of the next deadly novel airborne virus. But instead of examining this question seriously and objectively, the Select Subcommittee has so far only leveraged it to target our nation's scientists and to vilify our nation's public health officials. And in doing so, the Select Subcommittee has undermined the critical mission of preventing and preparing for future pandemics. As a result of unproven conspiratorial accusations without proof, like those suggesting Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins covered up the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. Which we've uh, shown they're lying about um, already. Uh, we've got the paperwork. Pandemic, trust in science in our nation's public health institutions has suffered. The Pew Research Center found that fewer than three in 10 Americans have a great deal of confidence in scientists to act in the public's interest. So while manufacturing of distrust is largely happening along party lines, it will hurt us all in our public health in the long run, whether you are Republican, Democrat, or Independent. And we are already seeing the consequences. For example, threats against scientists and public health officials have surged in the wake of these accusations. Oh, God. Here comes the Hotez defense. <laughs> Oh, I bet we get anti-Semitism next. This <laughs> could have long-term impacts on our ability to cultivate a strong and growing workforce to protect our public health, to work during the next pandemic. Dr. Anderson, you've been the subject of these threats. Could you please describe the threats and harassment you've experienced since the publication of the Proximal Origin paper? I'll say the paper itself has not resulted in threats. However, the misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories around the paper have resulted in significant... Uh, just not the, not the rampant lies that you've been spewing out into the public for three years. Not the uh, sketchy connections that stretch back decades uh, as part of being this little fucking griff network. Oof. I wonder why, they wonder why the public is pissed. Unbelievable and harassment and threats including everything from centipede says republicans are impotent though so this is mostly just an exercise in futility i'm sad to say um yes um i we're not expecting much from this um myself and charles have been talking about this a lot and this is you know all all we can do is just again fight the fight in on the information channels etc and um make sure that uh there's enough uh doubt seeded into the institutions that eventually they implode um but it's going to take a long time probably typical targets on social media to emails to telephone calls to my office to my own phone to death threats um, Can you give an example of one of those death threats? Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. Hoo. 
Vikings finalists waited. Oh. Only down. To you and yours? Of course. Uh, I'll, uh, one example, for example, will be online where there are so-called kill lists. And I have found myself on those lists together with my co-authors, together with many other colleagues involved in anything from origin research to vaccine research, for example. Peter Hotez has been a frequent target of, of many of these same... same and do they right? say why they want to... Um, yeah, the massive amounts of cash that they've scammed away, uh, the uh, harms that have been brought to people, the businesses destroyed, the families crushed. Um, you know, people have legitimate grievances here. And uh, this, uh, this appeal to, well, oh, oh God, this... I got some mean tweets. What the fuck, man? All these people need removing, in my opinion. Um, you need to get uh, you need to get people in there that just uh, morally and ethically uh, sound, but ones that just don't uh, don't cry victim. As soon as things start uh, not going their way, and this is this is what this is. This is uh, appeal uh, to victimhood, and uh, oh god, people were mean to me online. Oh shit! No. Now I'm going to cross to the US and Kristen Tate in just a moment because what apparently. There? Harm you. I think the, the, the conspiracy theory here, which is amplified by the sub-select committee's majority here, is that ba basically that, that, that the virus was created and that American scientists played a role in that and have been covering that up. And the suggestions that they have which been is, quit... Which is true. Which is true. And uh, you just don't like the fact that you've been uh, found out, found guilty. Guilty, guilty. In turn of, of covering this up, all of which, as the, the, the record clearly shows, is false. Um, and these in themselves result in these. And so that these, these manufactured conspiratorial accusations without that proof instills these emotions from the public that listens to them and results in. You've got information disorder, Lick Spittles! Get back in your kill box! Ruiz, Ruiz. <laughs> Ruiz is going to come and uh, ease your pain. An aggressive, threatening environment for you and other scientists? Correct, and I think understandably so, because we have all lived through a devastating pandemic with a lot of personal consequences to a lot of different people, and we're all suffering and hurting. And I think the, the focus has been on there is a need... Oh, yeah, it's uh, 23 million bucks. Uh, I'm sure he's uh, really, really hurting. Must... Uh... Must be painful existence every day. Need to to blame somebody for this. There is a need to deflect from our own personal suffering, and and this has been part of that. And so, how does this kind of harassment undermine the ability of scientists to do critical work that helps to promote our understanding of emerging public health threats? I think it sets a terrible example for future scientists looking at the attacks di directed against us, for example. Um, and if I was a future scientist and looking at that and saying, like, maybe I'm not going to go into infectious disease research. Uh, but uh, that, those 
tens of millions of dollars that get thrown at you uh, might just uh, convince a whole bunch to go that way. Uh, <laughs> Wine Uncomfy says, I want to suffer in my 23 gorillion science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if uh, Charles has fell asleep or not. <laughs> you there, Shogun Riksu? If I'm an emergency care physician or a nurse saying maybe infectious diseases is not for me because I've seen all the different harassments going on here. So from that perspective, it's, it's damaging. It's also incredibly damaging to our own work. We do study the origins of pandemics, including this one, but myself and Dr. Gary next to me, we study a lot of different viruses together with colleagues in Africa, for example. And these viruses continue to pose threats. And of course, that work is, 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 is less active than yeah. it would have been. So uh... <laughs> after, they, after they chased you out. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, confirmation bias is when you already have a, are convinced 100% of a certain outcome. And your worldview will now be seen through a lens of that belief. And so regardless of the facts and the evidence presented to you, you will formulate that based on what your already preconceived notion is, and you will work to prove what you already believe exists. How does that harm our public health researchers in this investigation when, they, when people are, are continuing to push a narrative that god this is this is so so cringe how that this has been rehearsed to the nth degree and uh yeah this is uh this is the new world folks uh the information disorder this is what they this is what they're trying to push here you're not you're not smart enough peon to understand what's going on you've got to uh surrender your cash give it to people to like gary and uh <laughs> Have them lead the charge. Wow, man. That involves intimidating public health scientists by bringing them here, yelling at them, accusing them if they're not aligned with their confirmation bias, with their preconceived notion. I think it's deeply unhelpful. As a physician and public health expert, I am deeply troubled that the Select Subcommittee has prioritized its time and resources on advancing an extreme partisan narrative over fulfilling our obligation to the American people to mitigate future public health threats. And so I urge my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to cease their misguided efforts that endanger science and public health, and I yield back. Before I recognize the next witness, uh, I'm with unanimous consent, want to submit for the record a working paper from 26 May 2020 critical analysis of Anderson et al., the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2, uh, written by scientists at Defense Intelligence Agency and the National Center for Military Intelligence. I now recognize oh. Ms. Malitakis from New York for five minutes of questions. Um, <laughs> Shokun Rikasu, did you know about this? Are you there? Do I have to call you back? Let me just uh, stop the screen share. hope... Uh... His camera's gone down. Hope he's okay. Says he's connected. Maybe maybe he had to take a call or something. Um, Dr. Anderson, do you believe that the former CDC director, Dr. Redfield, is a conspiracy theorist? Yes or no? Yes or no? I think to the question of whether the former director is a conspiracy theorist is not really something I've thought about. So well, I don't, I don't know, like because to because you just accused everyone who believes that there was a lab leak to be a conspiracy theorist. And back in March, the former director of the CDC, Dr. Redfield, came before this committee, and he said that it was not scientifically plausible 
But the virus went from a bat to humans and subsequently became one of the most infectious viruses in history. When asked why he was excluded from the February conference call that both, both of you, as well as 10 other scientists, had with Dr. Fauci, Dr. Redfield told us that Dr. Fauci wanted a single narrative surrounding the origins of COVID. But both you and Anderson Gary also expressed concerns about the genetic makeup of the virus just days before the initial draft of this paper came out. So were you both conspiracy theorists at that time? On, on January 29, 2020, Dr. Fauci emailed you after you had expressed concerns to him on a phone call that you believed COVID would have been engineered. He told you that if this was true, you had to contact the FBI. Uh, you did not do that, correct? I believe the email says that he will contact the FBI. Okay. Do you know, either of you had contact with the FBI? Yes or no, to your knowledge? At the time, no. Okay. But then you reaffirmed those engineering concerns in an email to Dr. Fauci, which you say the unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome, and that after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome is consistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Again, were you a conspiracy theorist at that time? And did you share these same concerns on the February 1st conference call? Because Dr. Gary went so far as to say, quote, I really can't think of a plausible natural scenario when you get from, from the bat virus or one very similar to it, uh, COVID-19, where you insert exactly four amino acids, 12 nucleotides, and all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function. I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature, unquote. So then, within a matter of days, something changed. And that's what this committee is trying to get to the bottom of. What happened within that three-day period between the conference call and the paper that all of a sudden you did a 180? And Those burner phones. The Farrah burner phones. That's what happened. And like I say, there's, there's good evidence that they knew way, way before uh, the January um, public... Uh, discussions, I would say. Uh, let's see. Check the chat. Um, sweet, I can put dots in chat. Um, God bless. Uh, God bless that tax evading blick. Then all I can say. I can kind of hear something from. I hope Charles is okay and he hasn't keeled over. Um, it couldn't possibly come from a lab, or maybe, but. You're all saying that, you know, this was by sure from nature. What happened in those three days? Uh, well, we examined the genomes more closely. We looked at other coronaviruses, and um, there was some new data that came. There was Where did the, that data come from? Um, the scientific literature, you know, the... <laughs> the uh, yeah, you know, uh, the scientific literature. <laughs> what the fuck was Wow. Well, at least they got that on record. Location of the pangolin genomic sequence showed that there was a receptor binding domain that was very close to the. And exactly what uh, my colleague here brought up. Yes, exactly. Okay, and it was a very important piece of data because it showed that a lot of the theories about you know the virus having been engineered or put together in a laboratory were not true because here was a virus in nature that had a receptor binding domain with exactly the well, same I, structure. I, 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 just, I just find it all interesting based on what my, my other colleague here, uh, the chairman of the committee, said in with, with reply to uh, the issue of the penguins. But something else that happened between those two days is one of your colleagues, who's not here today but was invited, Dr. Rambot, 
He said, uh, I don't know if I should say this uh, in committee room or not, but uh, given the blank show that this would happen, if anyone serious, seriously accused the Chinese of even accidental release, my feeling is we should say that given there is no evidence of a specifically engineered virus, we cannot possibly distinguish between natural evolution and escape, so we are content with ascribing it to natural processes. His concern was would he piss off China? That's what his... <laughs> Bit of salty language thrown in there. Go on, darling. Let, let him have it. Concern was, um, so look, something happened here. Politicians may flip-flop, scientists do not flip-flop in a matter of 72 hours. And whether it was the fear of accusing communist China for this leak, whether it was needing to get the FBI involved in what that might lead to down the line, whether it was the fact that millions of US dollars had made their way, by the way, to communist China, Interesting chart I have here, $3.7 million. Were any of you aware during any of these, whether it's drafting this paper or conversations with Fauci, that communist China received $3.7 million of American tax dollars, uh, including through to the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Did that any, ever come up in any conversations with Dr. Fauci? It did not. Okay. Dr. Anderson, no? It did not. And while I was aware of some of the work, I was not aware of the funding going because that is obviously irrelevant to understanding the origin itself i should it's irrelevant out... oh no shit man this dude he's got some got some brass balls on him for uh <laughs> he's saying holy shit though that in terms of labeling people as conspiracy theorists is that considering a potential lab leak is a perfectly reasonable and scientifically justified question to ask I myself have asked it. I have not called people that mm -hmm. believe or think that this could have come from a lab conspiracy theory. Okay, well, I'd like to just take my time back. Uh, 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 hang on a minute. It just, uh, just did, and so did uh, Ruiz, uh, the, the Haitian uh, kitty diddler. just only want to acknowledge that it's not just Dr. Redfield, right? We had the Department of Energy come out with their... Uh, conclusion that they believe it was likely from a lab. It is the FBI that also says it was likely for a lab. And I just wanted the record to reflect that. Thank you. I now recognize the ranking member of the full committee, Ms. Mr. Raskin, uh, Marilyn, for actually seven minutes. Um, Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. We're all interested in finding out the origins of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic to make sure that such a nightmare never happens again to us. And we need the facts. Some people clearly want to politicize the question. Um, some people think that um, the finding that it all started with a lab leak would somehow absolve Donald Trump of his lethally reckless response to the pandemic. Of course, his response was oh, dangerously wow. dysfunctional, regardless of how it got started. And his own advisor on COVID-19, Deborah Burks, said that we lost hundreds of thousands of American lives uh, because of the flaws in the response. But even if the virus came from a lab, as indeed it could have, we don't know that yet, that would only deepen Donald Trump's culpability because he was the one who Wow, this is uh, this is some straw man argumentation here to um, <laughs> some Trump derangement syndrome thrown in. Uh, does anyone know why he wears the headscarf on his head? The uh, shank of his old head? Just the repeatedly and enthusiastically praised China's early handling of the pandemic and assured us that he was working closely with President Xi on the response to it. So let's just get the facts straight and leave all the political myth-making aside. Now, <laughs> not the, the myth-making, uh, the emails, the, yeah, you know, um, concerns about uh, China, the 
emails that uh, said, well, I just don't, I don't get how you can get those uh, amino acids and nucleotides in there all at the same time. The, uh, the concerns about HIV and uh, the squelching of Pradnan et al. We've heard claims repeatedly that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins set up the February 1st, 2020 conference call as part of a plan somehow to suppress the lab leak theory. But the committee majority's own June 2023 subpoena to Dr. Anderson says that it was Dr. Farrar who organized the conference call. Well, which is it? Dr. Anderson, it's my understanding that the conference call was indeed set up by Dr. Farrar so top scientists could discuss SARS-CoV-2 genomic features and whether those features could illuminate the origins of the virus. Is that correct that it was set up by Dr. Farrar? That is correct. Okay. Um, Dr. Farrar provided the agenda and the roster of attendees via email. You can see in the top box here in red the agenda, and in the bottom box in red the roster of attendees. In the agenda, Dr. Farrar assigned himself the role of introducing and defining the focus of the call, setting up desired outcomes, and establishing next steps afterward. Neither Dr. Fauci nor Dr. Collins were assigned roles on this agenda. Dr. Gary, it looks like this was in every material respect Dr. Farrar's call. Is that how... There's their scapegoat. Their Judas goat. <laughs> Look, I hate Farrar. I really do. Um, why is he wearing... Thank you, uh, who put this there. Uh, we talk... Chris, thank you. Um, wearing a scarf on his head. What cancer does Raskin have and who is his wife? Um, okay. It's probably a little irrelevant, but I'm guessing it's for... His wife has cancer, I guess. How you remember it. It is how I remember it. And what contributions did Dr. Fauci or Dr. Collins make, or did they mostly just listen? Well, I, they did mostly just listen. I, they had very little to offer on the science. I think they were there to gather information. Okay. Now, Dr. Anderson, you said you began yourself with the initial hypothesis that there had been or may have been a lab leak, but you ended up not believing in that theory. Why? What, how did you change your mind? I think it's important to understand that we're talking about early hypotheses here on which our thinking over time evolved. And that then led to the conclusions published in a peer-reviewed paper. I would like to point out that this timeline of three days, I, I don't know where that's coming from. The paper was published on the 17th of March, 2020. That's 45 days after this conference call. What's important to understand is that the thinking evolved from initially thinking that this could have been engineered to relatively rapidly discount that idea as being inconsistent with the available evidence. However, the lab leak theory itself or the idea of a lab leak can be many different things and our continued evolution of that then followed that I was quite convinced that maybe it was culture. And then from there, I eventually realized that actually that is also unsupported. And that's what led to the conclusions in Proximal Origin. But I have your, your paper, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, uh, in which you write, our analyses clearly show that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. Did uh, Dr. Fauci or Dr. Collins pressure you to come to this conclusion or to suppress the lab leak theory? They did not. That is fully a conclusion of the authors on the paper. Okay. Now, um, one of the things I admire in what you've been saying is that you follow the scientific method. Uh, you say at the, in the conclusion of your paper, um, although the evidence shows that SARS-CoV-2 is not a purposefully manipulated virus, it is currently impossible to prove or disprove the other theories of its origin described here. In other words, we fundamentally don't know. But have there been papers following your original paper that have caused you to revise the view that you have now and to go back to your original hypothesis? No, it's not, because that would mean surrendering uh, your position and uh, your place at the trough. 
and uh, as comfortably Num says in the chat, there have been many, many lab leaks, and uh, you know the it it well the fact that they have bio warfare hasn't come up once yet is problematic in my view. We are how many minutes in? Uh, an hour and a half in, and uh, no mention of biowarfare. Um, he said, lab leak, finish your beverage. <sighs> oh, but I will say there has been additional data and analyses, which obviously we have taken all of those into consideration. However, these early conclusions remain to this day. Okay. Um, and um, well, let's move on to an email that you sent to your co-authors. You wrote, and this has been, I think, much misunderstood, our main work over the last couple of weeks has been focused on trying to disprove any type of lab theory. Now, you explained in your opening statement that you meant pursuing the scientific process by which you have an <laughs> hypothesis which stands... Quick, put some more lipstick on that pig. ...unless it's disproven. Is that right? Is that what you meant by that? That is correct. I'm referring to the concept of what's called falsification, as Chairman Winstrup mentioned, too. Yes. The, the falsification of a theory. All right. So um, has there been any attempt, to your knowledge, to censor any papers that would contradict oh, the conclusions that you arrived at here? Or put it differently, you mentioned in your opening uh, testimony that uh, Dr. Fauci had encouraged you to write a paper about the lab theory if that's where the evidence took you. Is that right? That is correct. I'm not aware of, 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 of you know, whether papers has been censored specifically focused on the lab leak. I, I will say again, if you look at the scientific evidence, it all points in one direction, which is the single market in the middle of, of Wuhan in China as the starting point of this pandemic. Um, there no. It doesn't. Um, we've got all the early epidemiology, uh, satellite data. Everything says there was something going on earlier. And um, I'll stand by Commander Rix's uh, analysis, which is uh, there are 5,000 or so cases that have been misattributed. And uh, they, they essentially point to the south of the Yangtze River. There are many papers out there that have described potential lab leaks, which are typically using sort of gods of the gaps type of, of analogies, where you're trying to say that the data is not perfect, so everything remains still possible. And that's something we agree with. As we specifically say in the paper, you cannot disprove or prove any of the hypotheses um, of the origin. That was true at the time, and that's still today uh, true. Well, I just want to commend you for following the scientific method here, for being open to all new evidence and all new data, and not succumbing to a serious... Oh man, it's so contrived. It's painful to listen to. Wow. Series of uh, political polemics and attacks. Mr. Chairman, thank you very kindly. I yield back to you. I now recognize the chairman of the full committee, Mr. Comer, from Kentucky for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Discovering the origins of COVID-19 is vital. It's vital to preparing for future pandemics and to save lives. Dr. Anderson, in your prepared testimony, you say that you're being investigated because, quote, published per-reviewed studies that go against the preferred political narrative, end quote. Now that goes opposite to what we have seen. The preferred political narrative has always been to attack those that think this may have come from a lab. Your co-author says on the poster right behind me what the real political narrative is. Quote, given the shit show that would happen if anyone serious accused the Chinese of even accidental release. Dr. Anderson, you responded to this message, quote, yep, I totally agree that's a very reasonable conclusion, although I hate when politics is injected into science, but it's impossible not to, especially given the circumstance, end quote. 
Sir, do you have a degree in political science or international relations? I do not. Do you have any experience in the Foreign Service or diplomatic course? I do not. I'm okay, a thank citizen. You. you are the one with the preferred political narrative. You said it right there. This preference was reiterated by Dr. Collins, saying that the lab leak theory would, quote, do great potential harm to science and international harmony, end quote. We heard at our last hearing that the Biden administration was working with social media companies to censor the lab leak theory. I think you have preferred political narratives backwards, sir. When was your first conversation with Dr. Fauci about the origins of COVID-19? I believe that was on the 31st of um, January 2020. And, and yes or no, he, he suggested you write a paper during that conversation, correct? Dr. Fauci suggested that I consider writing a paper specifically predicated on my initial hypothesis, which was that of a lab-associated virus, correct? Then you had the February 1st conference call that had Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and Dr. Farrar on it, correct? There were several scientists, including those, yes. Was Dr. Tabak also on that call? I believe he was on the call. I'm unsure about that. Did Dr. Fauci reiterate a suggestion to draft a paper on that call? I don't believe that he directly suggested it, but there was support for us looking further into the origin of the pandemic, yes. Well, did the February 1st conference call lead to the drafting of proximal origin? At the time, no. These are separate events. Eventually, the conclusions from that conference call, further conversations among the authors, ultimately led up in the March 17, 2020 paper, The Proximal Origin. However, the purpose of that conference call was not to write a paper. Well, I want to shift to the conclusions of that paper. First, our analysis clearly show that uh, SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or purposely manipulated virus. Dr. Anderson, do you stand by that statement? I do. Dr. Gary, do you stand by that statement? I do. Dr. Gary, are there research techniques that can purposefully manipulate a virus without leaving a trace? There are. What about having a virus be a laboratory construct without leaving a trace? If I understand your correct question correctly, I, yes, I believe there are. So you can't make that conclusion with certainty then? We didn't base it on those facts, though, sir. It was other facts and other evidence that we gathered during the course of our investigation. Well, th you can, next, you conclude that you do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. Dr. Anderson, do you stand by that statement? I do, and I think it's important to understand that while we're talking about a purposefully manipulated virus, specifically what we are referring to in the paper here, and as you will see from the record we have handed to the, to the committee, is that we are talking about the idea of building this virus with the intent of creating this virus. For example, a bioweapon would be an example of this. Ah, yes, let's get down into the nitty-gritty and uh, bio-warfare. Let's, uh, let's have it out. Normal engineering of a virus, where, while I certainly uh, believe that that is fully inconsistent with the evidence we have available to us, is not specifically what we're talking about here. In a laboratory construct, we are talking about many of the, the different reverse genetic okay. systems available for SARS like coronavirus. My, my last question. Dr. Gary, a recent interview you had saying that statement went too far. Did that statement go too far? And is a laboratory-based scenario for the origin of COVID-19 plausible? So I said maybe we went too far, and I think in that particular statement that is really out of context with a, you know, almost a six-hour interview that I gave to a BBC reporter. We ah, um, <laughs> a little bit of uh, self-realization that we went a little bit too far. Uh, the censorship went a little bit too far. The uh, 
the totalitarian jackboot that came down on everyone because of what these people wrote. It's just a little bit too far. We were talking again about the scientific method, and I'm simply just referring to the fact that we were early at the time in the analysis, and that yes, we would change our minds if, if other evidence, other data came forward to support another theory. So, you know, a scientist that is 100% certain of their conclusions is not a very good scientist. That you need to evaluate new data and go back, and that's all I was referring to in that sentence. Mr. Chairman, my time's expired. I now recognize Ms. Ross from North Carolina for five minutes of questions. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, just we just get five minutes of drivel about how Anthony Fauci was. Uh, ah, I had nothing to do with it. He was uh, sitting in the corner drinking his coffee. This morning, the the select subcommittee Democrats released a report to correct the, on the record um, the allegations that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins had involvement in the proximal origin paper. And I'd like to revisit some of the questions that Mr. Raskin asked about who organized and facilitated that paper. And I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that there's anything untoward or nefarious about the paper or the events leading to its publications. But my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have made allegations today, unsupported allegations, that I believe... Uh, not unsupported. <laughs> not unsupported at all. Ah. Conclusions did not influence the draft thing other than the single uh, uh, Hang on, my fault, my fault folks. Um, make an analysis of its genomic features. I'd like to revisit some of the questions that Mr. Raskin asked about who organized and facilitated that paper. And I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that there's anything untoward or nefarious about the paper or the events leading to its publications. But my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have made allegations today, unsupported allegations, that I believe misrepresent who did what for the paper and why. From what I understand, again, this all started on February 1st, 2020, um, in a conference call where some virologists and scientists, including those from outside of the United States, got together to discuss a novel coronavirus and, um, and make an analysis of its genomic features. Dr. Anderson, is it accurate to say that because this was not their area of expertise, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins attended the call with the goal of hearing what you and other experts, including your eventual co-authors, thought of the virus's genomic features? That is correct. And in the period following the call, you and your co-authors began to work on what would become the proximal origin paper. Is that correct? That is correct. The select subcommittee has reviewed thousands of pages of documents and communications between you and your co-authors. In our review, it became abundantly clear that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins had little to no involvement in the paper. For example, <laughs> Dr. Anderson, when asked about Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins' role in the paper, you told the select subcommittee staff, quote, they played no role in the paper. Is that correct? That is correct. I think it's important to understand that we are talking about an international group of known experts drafting a paper. The whole idea that NIH 
directors would have a role in that paper is obviously false. So it is having true a huge to say that, role in the funding. <sighs> wow. Yes, they played no role in this paper. Of course, they appear to have been interested in the paper because they were interested as non-experts in the conclusions and the, the research itself. Uh, to please, just uh, for the record, that uh, Fauci is also getting uh, equivalent salary from, uh, well, is it Ditra, but essentially from the homeland security aspect uh, into uh, bioweapons and uh, all as a consequence of the anthrax attacks after uh, 9-11 and you know that's a deep topic to uh, go diving into but let's let's not forget that he's he's the money man and uh, the goff the goff father as charles said Thank you. Um, in my remaining time, let me turn to you, Dr. Gary. In the final stages of drafting the paper, you sent an email to your co-authors stating, quote, Jeremy um, Farrar, you were referencing him, had been an amazing leader. You also told select subcommittee staff that Dr. Farrar played a substantive advisory role throughout the drafting of the paper. Is that correct? That is correct. And did Dr. Fauci or Dr. Collins ever influence the conclusions drawn in your paper? Not in any way. So it seems to me, um, when we don't have the cameras rolling, even my Republican colleagues might concede that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins did not organize or facilitate the proximal origin, and that Dr. Farrar did instead. <laughs> oh man, I wonder. I wonder how much of the discussion was um, done with uh, Oxbridge uh, buggery boy Farrar. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all it's all getting dropped on him, and uh, of course he moved position. Right, he's now uh, at the World Health Organization. He's not a, a welcome trust. And I don't know if that makes him harder to uh, subpoena or, you know, there's no shareholders in the um, in the World Health Organization, right? Stakeholders, maybe, but we're, we're none of them. For example, on March 5th, 2023, select subcommittee Republican staff memo stated, and I quote, Dr. Farrar led the drafting process of the proximal origin paper. And the subpoena my Republican colleagues issued. Which um, is scientific uh, fraud if he's not if he's not written down as an author, sorry, you've got to, you've got to at least uh, put that uh, he was involved in the paper. I don't think he's on the acknowledgments. I could uh, pull the paper up, but um, I'm pretty sure he kept uh, as much distance as possible. Issued as part of this investigation last month acknowledges that Dr. Farrar, quote, organized the February 1st, 2020 conference call that they allege led to the proximal origin paper. These findings underscore the fact that scientific rigor, especially in, in the face of global health emergencies, requires international... <laughs> Some marketing and... Uh those people called coaching has gone on here as they've 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 
teased out and thought about every word that they're trying to say. And, you know, this is a save, save Fauci, save the NIH uh, attempt. And uh, it's, it's to deflect from what we what we do know. And someone someone needs to be just talking about the uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Sorry, hundreds of millions of dollars among experts. Shut it, bitch. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that um, have been poured into bioweapons research and was, uh, you know, EcoHealth, Metabiota, uh, what's the other one? Labyrinth in uh, Ukraine, all linked and uh, all linked by funny money with... Uh, Biden, Hunter Biden, <laughs> that lot. The Democrats, the Democrats are in this uh, balls deep. Experts in the field, epidemiologists, virologists, doctors, and public health experts like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins must be included in the discussions concerning how we investigate and respond to pandemics. However, just their cooperation and inclusion is not evidence of collusion or secrecy. It's simply the way the scientific process works. This kind of coordination enable us, enables us to have accurate information, strong lines of communication, and ultimately helps us save the most lives. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. I now recognize Dr. Miller-Meeks from Iowa for five minutes of questions. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chair, and I thank our witnesses for appearing here today. Um, do either of our witnesses, can you comment on why the origin of SARS-CoV-2 would be important? Well, we need to figure out how this pandemic started so that we can put measures in place to prevent the next one. There will be another coronavirus. Oh, God. Oh, God. The nauseating One Health bollocks coming through again. Dismantle the biowarfare medical countermeasures industry. We won't have any more pandemics. Guarantee you. Outbreak or spillover that could potentially lead to the pandemic. Let's figure out how it happens so that we can stop that. And Dr. Anderson? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, it's, first of all, it's the natural thing to do. We're all humans. We want to understand what happened here. And I think from that perspective itself, I think it's, it's important. But as Dr. Gary said, is that the ability to take corrective action and understand what specifically led to this pandemic so we can hope to do better and prepare better for future ones is an important one. Thank you. And the reason I wanted you to state that on the record is because of comments within your testimony and comments of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Since the pandemic, I am also a physician. I'm a former director of the Iowa Department of Public Health. Uh, we had a uh, hearing on origins with the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic uh, in uh, 2021. And from the time um, we were looking at origins, I have said specifically the reason it's important to understand the origins is not to undermine scientists. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not a political hoax. It is for three reasons. And those three reasons are to prevent and respond to the next pandemic. One, the international community and scientists in particular have a vested interest in understanding what type of laboratory research is done and what type of laboratory safety. Critically important. Number two, disclosure. The international community has a vested interest in disclosure occurring properly and within 24 hours if, in fact, 
there is a virus or bacteria that's released that could uh, lead to a pandemic. And then number three, the ethics of what kind of research is done and in what laboratories, and if we have assurances that those laboratories and those scientists can be trusted. So um, my colleague mentioned that um, it was natural to have collaboration and to get information from various scientists around the world, and I would agree with that. Did you have collaboration and consensus and readily available data from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Only what was in the public domain. Dr. Geary? Um, same answer. Okay. Um, I would also like to point out that when you have a phone call and four days later you, uh, a paper is presented, and as you said, uh, you're looking at data, you, when did you put the paper up for, submit it for publication? 17th of February. Okay, but yet there was changes to that paper or changes, as you both have said and stated within your testimony, that you got information which led you to believe that... Shogun Rikisu, this is where we need him right now. <laughs> it's, uh, those 10 changes on uh, virological and uh, thank, the, thank the Lord that... Uh, Commander Rixie's uh, picked them up, got them safely stored away. It was improbable or that a laboratory leak was uh, not available. So it seems to me the paper was constructed and then sent for publication and then data came out after that. So specifically, in reference to the paper, one of the referees said there are two recent reports about coronavirus and pangolins. The authors might want to comment on these. Dr. Anderson, you stated, we have included these references as well as several others that have investigated pangolin CoV. In addition, we should point out that these additional pangolin CoV sequences do not further clarify the different scenarios discussed in our manuscript. There is nothing in these reports that changes our statements regarding a potential... You know what? Um, I hear noises coming from Charles' microphone. You know what? Let me just try calling him on Skype because I don't know. It's kind of odd. He's it's, just... um... Oh, you're back. Yeah, it's... You're right. Well, yeah, I mean... I thought, something, I thought something had happened to you, Brian. It's like he's uh, keeled over. A... Well, you did I have an aneurysm that... at the BS being thrown out here. Well, I mean... Uh, I, I, I suppose it's just Spending more time in Japan is is somehow somehow a good idea. So yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't dig too deeply, but but I don't know. Well, well um, uh, this is so. Uh, John in the chat is saying, um, Doc, how are scientists held accountable for lying? Well, usually you would have some type of review um, if you've been caught. Um, meddling with data or engaged in some kind of fraud and usually i mean you could lose your job you're not going to move on to your next position etc etc and the um but for something this heinous um i don't know you know some some type of grand jury like we're trying to bring about for sure 
but uh, again the the rehearsed lies that we're seeing here just well it 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 bothers me and as we said at the beginning um they had charles literally waiting on the end of the phone to give them the questions to be asking now you know they have brought up diffuse charles um i think they could have drilled further into that they didn't um do you have any thoughts on where they could have gone with that um Do I have thoughts on on where are they? Well, they the op opportunities missed. So you bring up diffuse, and it literally lays out there um, that they're going to be looking at fury and cleavage sites, inserting um, into recombinant clones, and all the all the magic words are there. Um, Oh, and the fact that, look, the fact that it was a DARPA grant as well. They, 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 they haven't touched enough on the bioweapons aspect, in, in my opinion. It's been skirted around. Well, they intentionally uh, urinated on all the actual evidence that we had in favor of whatever it is that that we've watched so um so somebody is happy with the the output mm. uh, but it's just it's depressing that that once again roll a pen can you can you nobody hear it, hear it. i'm not i'm not Share my screen with you, right? Stopped. Can I hear? Um, the the hearing. My screen stopped sharing. There we go. But then I I don't. Oh. Well, no. I thought my I thought you just liked hearing me. Uh, well, it's like you dropped it off i don't know if you needed the bathroom or something but the um i don't know when it stopped i just realized it wasn't sharing but the um the lady here again in my opinion she's dropped the ball with respect to well i don't know maybe she's leading up to uh something more more cutting in in her questioning but the um, probably not probably not but the it would be nice to think that they could or they would go down and it's look i don't know in the back corridors of congress and the that they're just saying we can't touch on this because of national security issues and i wonder i wonder how much that influences what's going on here um I, that's the excuse that's being used. Um, but I, I would I would submit that if a million Americans have died, 
then national security has failed. And so the worst thing that we should do is double down on whatever it is that they tell us we should be doing. Uh, we, we don't listen. Well, it's, well, it's their argument is trust us with the experts. That's that's essentially what we're hearing. Uh, right, they say the same thing about the Titanic. Mm. So, yeah. Can you, you you can see the screen, right? Mm. Uh, yes, I can see the screen. Let's just see if this. Do you know who this person is? Uh, Miller Meeks, mm. I believe. I believe, offhand. That she is an Iowa Republican. Yes. But I could be mistaken she, about she that. She said that they had a SARS origin meeting, investigation in 2021. Um, that doesn't ring any bells for me. Uh, well, the Republicans held a, held a Republican only. Because oh, is that that the one she's talking about? Okay, not yeah. That may be the one. I mean, that was the one that Dr. Quay and right and David Asher and others were speaking at. You know, it's it's surprising. I wonder if they're going to bring in Jeffrey Sachs at some point. You would you would think they would, right? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I think we should, uh, the key takeaway here is that I, I don't have a lot of faith in these people, so I'm not really surprised by anything at this point. Then you also, um, a second referee, ask another question that says, they're surprised that you did not hypothetically refute a lab origin. And once the authors publish their new pangolin sequences, a lab origin will be extremely unlikely. Your response was, our manuscript is written to explore the potential origins of SARS-CoV-2. We do not believe it is speculative. Unfortunately, the newly available pangolin sequences do not elucidate the origins of SARS-CoV-2 or refute a lab origin. Hence, the review is incorrect on this point. There is no evidence on present data that the pangolin coves are directly related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet, in your paper, you dispute and consider highly improbable, supposedly having new data and information, highly improbable that SARS-CoV-2 emerged through laboratory manipulation. I'm not suggesting that laboratory manipulation was deliberate or meant was a bioterrorism, but by your own statements, Dr. Anderson, um, it seems to me that you're actually saying that it's inconclusive whether or not this emerged accidentally or on purpose from a laboratory or if there was a manipulation or if it came from science despite the thousands of animals that have been looked at to see if it could have emerged. I think my time is up and I think it's um, what we're finding today is that it's not as conclusive as you would like us to believe that it uh, emerged through nature. Thank you and I yield back. Now recognize Dr. Barra from California for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, first off, Dr. Gary, Dr. Anderson, thank you for being here. You know, physician, um, faculty member at UC Davis, was an associate dean there, and I appreciate 
Um, you didn't sign up for this, but I appreciate that, that, that you're here. And you know, for all the scientists, doctors, and, and others that worked through this pandemic, you know, some of the, the abuse challenges that they've had to face, um, again, I apologize for, for that. Um, you know, as someone who has spent most of my time in Congress thinking about pandemic preparedness and global health security on national commissions, um, putting recommendations in, in place, traveling to Sierra Leone post um, the Ebola epidemic to try, to try to get there, I understand how important this work is. I'm going to limit my comments to um, the topic today, which is proximal origin. You know, if I go back to, you know, January of 2020, when we first started talking about this, Congress had its first briefing, um, I think in the third week of, of January in the CVC auditorium. At that point, I raised, and again, Dr. Fauci was one of the briefers, the importance of getting to the hot zone, getting our scientists, the best in the world, to, to, to Wuhan and, and, and to the hot zone to understand proximal origins. Um, obviously, that, that did not happen. So, um, you know, there was appropriate criticism of how the Chinese were handling the early days of that pan pandemic. The scientific community did the best that they could um, to try to understand the, the origins. And, you know, um, yeah, I appreciate the, the work that was published in, in your paper. I appreciate the openness to thinking about, you know, whether origins were from a lab leak versus, um, you know, a wet market. And we continue to explore that. Um, to my colleague, Dr. Miller-Meeks, I agree with a, a lot of um, what she said. It is important for us to understand that and continue to try to gather information to understand it. But in, given that we may never reach a conclusion, I also want to, to, to be forward-looking. Um, I think it's appropriate for this committee, um, because it is the vehicle we have as, as Congress, to look at lab security and lab safety and, and you know, to, to think about recommendations working with the scientific community, because, you know, it, this type of research is going to continue. Um, and it's important for us to understand and prepare, not just for um, future pandemics, because we will see those pandemics in the future, but it also, you know, there are bio threats around the world, there are bad actors around the world, and we have to be doing that research <laughs> so we have appropriate <laughs> countermeasures and, and, uh, and the like. Yeah, t take a look in the um, mirror, buddy. In addition, buddy. though, we should shouldn't discount the, um, the, the, the theory that this emerged from a wet market, because we should also explore and work with the international community to prevent that type of leap from animals to, to humans, because we also know zoonotic um, transmission of viruses um, is, is bound to happen and is the origin of many new novel pandemics. Um, would both of you agree that we should you know, be thinking about both of these, Dr. Anderson? Yeah, I agree. I think it's important that, you know, there are several different objectives here. One is the scientific question of the origin, but of course, given what we have learned about coronaviruses, including the one causing the pandemic, but also all the related ones that have since been discovered, I do think we need to reconsider our lab safety practices around these viruses specifically. And that's because of what we have learned during the pandemic. And that's an important discussion, too, that I totally agree with. Dr. Gary. Well, we certainly as virologists take lab safety very seriously. <laughs> um, in the very lives of my students and myself and others working around the laboratory uh, depends on taking those issues very seriously. And there are very good guidelines in place. I, I agree with Dr. Anderson that we need to rethink some of those given, you know, the potential threat of, of wild coronaviruses coming over. We should probably do those, all those studies at biosafety level three uh, instead of lower biosafety levels. But those are logical things that the scientific community will put in place. Great. And again, I, I think that's where Congress should work with the science community and take guidance from the science community, as opposed to non-scientists in Congress dictating um, what might happen and, and what lab safety should look like. 
I also, just in the few minutes that I have, I would hate for this committee or Congress to conclude that we shouldn't be collaborating with the international community having labs around the world because if we want to prevent pandemics, we have to go out there where the pandemics are originating and work with those scientists around the world. And it would be a dangerous conclusion for this committee to say we shouldn't be working with labs around the world. We absolutely have to work with those labs. Thank you. I'm out of time. I now recognize Ms. Lesko from Arizona for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you both of you for being here to testify. Um, I'm first going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask the same question first of Dr. Gary. In your documented emails to both, or to Dr. Fauci and others, dated before or around the same time as the February 1st conference call, both of you seemed absolutely convinced that COVID-19 was not from nature. In fact, Dr. Anderson, when you spoke to committee staff, uh, when they interviewed you, you were very concerned about the origin of COVID-19 and wondered if you should contact the FBI or CIA about your concern. Yet, on February 4th, 2020, which was three days after the conference call, Dr. Jeremy Farah sent an email to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. It says, quote, please treat in confidence a very rough first draft from Eddie and team. They will send on the edited cleaner version later, pushing WHO again today. Dr. Gary, is this the very rough first draft referring to the proximal origin paper? Uh, it was a report that was going to go back to the original people on the teleconference. Um, you know, were there elements in that report that we eventually incorporated into proximal? When, when was the first uh, virological uploads? Oh, lost, uh, lost Rixie again. He's gone to sleep. Yeah, lazy marine. Fox Morrison, yes, but it wasn't a draft of that paper per se. We hadn't even decided whether we were going to write one or not. How much of, Dr. Gary, how much of that original draft do you think was included in the published proximal origin paper? I haven't sat down and compared the two documents, so I don't really know. That's a 50%. That's a 50%. Um, yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Anderson, I have the same question for you. Um, was that first draft uh, the, of the proximal origin paper on February 4th? I think it's important to understand what our conclusions were in the um, particular sir, draft. Sir, could you answer the question? Is that we, was you it can, your understanding you that it's the proximal origin paper? This is not the proximal origin paper, as Dr. Gary uh, uh, stated. This is a draft report based on our discussion so far, and we conclude that we believe deliberate engineering can be ruled out with a high degree of confidence. But we also state that, that was evolution on February scenario, 4th. this you, is on you, February 4th. 4th, you thought Correct. that it could be ruled out. Deliberate, deliberate, in, no, oh, not deliberate. The lab. Importantly, okay. we talk about deliberate engineering. However, I want to point out that we also specifically mentioned that the current data are consistent with all three, meaning the three scenarios all right. that we described Thank you. in the final paper. Dr. Gary, my next question. You told Congresswoman Maliotakis that there was new evidence in, she said, in the three days before your scientist team sent an initial draft of proximate origin. You said that that was not really the original draft, but had pieces of it. Is it normal for a scientist to totally change? Because I read your email from, I think it was February 1st, yeah. 
you know, said, you know, this can't be nature. This is, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, too coincidental. This couldn't all line up together. Um, to change in three days, is so, that normal? So I, I think we need to step back a little bit from that, that one email. That was one email that why? I sent. You know. <laughs> why, why should we step back from that one? Show us the, uh, show us the analysis that you ran um, between then and the, the three days later. That's what I would want to see. You know, some sort of some code that you've written, some uh, some even if you've made some poor postdoc uh, run it because you're unable to do it yourself. Um, just show us something that uh, was has some substance to it, scientific substance to it, other than uh, what's essentially uh, opinion changes that are coming under. Uh, Fouch's, Fouch's fire hose of money. Now, amongst literally hundreds of communications, uh, amongst with my co-authors, with other scientists, other people I was talking to about the origins. And in that particular email that you're talking about, I was doing what scientists very often do, and that is, you know, take a devil's advocate position. So the questions that we were trying to answer is, you know, could this have come from a laboratory? And I was taking that position. Thank, well, thank you, sir. I have 42 okay, seconds sure. left. I have a very important question for both of you that I'm trying to understand. So Dr. Redfield told us in March of 2023 this year that um, the, either the Wuhan Institute of Virology or China itself deleted the COVID sequence in S September of 2019. He also said that they turned over control of the WIV um, in September of 2019 to the military, Chinese military. He also said that the WIV changed the ventilation at their lab in the fall of 2019. If China wasn't trying to cover up something, why would they do this? Both of you. You know, I'm not a member of the Intelligence Committee. I ha don't have privileged information in terms of what was going on there. I, I really don't have any basis to answer. But you don't think it's unusual for China to cover up things if nothing happened, if it was all natural? Well, I'm, I'm also not an expert on Chinese politics, so I, I really don't have a professional answer for you there. Dr. Anderson. All of this seems routine to me. The fact that you have a BFL <laughs> call laboratory getting their, their air-conditioned units upgraded, for example, sees unrelated, as the intelligence community has also concluded, is that that is unrelated to, to the late... How, how about the turning over to military control or to delete the COVID sequence? So, is that just normal? I have, no, I have no comments on the, on the first. I think it's important to understand that the deletion you're talking about is specifically about a database, not, not actually the SARS-2 sequence itself. And that database has been on and off uh, and seemed to finally be uh, taken offline in February of 2020, not actually in September 2019. Also, we know that this pandemic very likely started to, in the mid to late November 2019. So I think with, certain, with, with quite a lot of certainty, we can say that these events are unrelated. Hmm. Well... That seems very unusual to me, and I yield back. Thank you. I now recognize Mr. Mfume from Maryland for five minutes of questions. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank you and the ranking member. I want to thank our witnesses who have uh, endured us for the last couple of hours, and uh, I certainly want to thank the members of this committee who continue to try to make sure that we stay within our own guidelines in terms of what we're approaching and how we're approaching it and what we, of course, hope to achieve. I've used this microphone and other occasions during this hearing to argue that we went through COVID in real time. Every day was different. Every week was different. 
Every month was different, and unfortunately, every year was different. And so there was a constant building process with building blocks about what we knew and what we didn't know, what we should do, what we should never do. Uh, and we came through that better as a nation because of the science which so many of us relied on uh, and the data and the approach that the healthcare industry took, particularly doctors and physicians over and over again, while many of us were free of that, uh, that exposure in that sense. Um, and so what we seem to do here is retrospective investigation, which I'm not necessarily opposed to, but I get the sense we do it with a vendetta. Like, I think this was wrong and you were the one that did it, or I think this was wrong and you conspired to do this. That's not gonna get us very far, not at all. Given the critical role that science plays in advancing our understanding of emerging viruses, I'm appalled every time I hear some of my colleagues turn to politicizing and vilifying the researchers. Somebody had to do the research. Somebody had to come up with conclusions. Somebody had to follow the data. Somebody had to make an assessment. And so yeah, there was there was a few of us that that, that did do that. Um, we got uh, we got heavily heavily censored. Um, these Democrats, I'm just going to speed the Democrat ones up because they're so fucking ridiculous. It's the same thing over and over. Um, ah, trust the science, bitches. So it's a little strange to me that we will vilify the people who did that at the time when we needed them the most uh, because now we're operating in retrospective lens. Um, we in this subcommittee, Mr. Chairman, have attacked physicians. We've attacked labor unions. We've attacked public health officials. We've attacked teachers. We've attacked healthcare workers. We've really attacked the CDC and the NIH. We've attacked, as you've heard today, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, previously uh, killed millions of people, destroyed uh, millions of businesses. Uh, the list, the list goes uh, on and on. Someone needs to be held accountable. Here. Dr. Walensky, we've attacked Joe Biden. We're in an attack mode instead of what I thought would be a real fact-finding mode about what do we do to get ready for the next number. Oh, God, no. No, I can't take it anymore. Virus, which could be set upon us at any time. And so in the six months that this committee has operated, I don't think that we've got an answer. I, don't, I haven't seen what our steps are, if that's the case. How do we proceed? And if that is the case, we've got to rely on researchers and physicians all over again. And I think it poisons the water if we have already sort of predisposed uh, uh, who we think they are, why they are operating, what's wrong with them. Uh, the basic claims in the uh, scientific article that we've talked about uh, was developed to suppress the lab leak theory. It was somehow demanded by the United States government or else. Um, that's an incredible disservice in my opinion. We don't want to frighten off the very processes, the people, the industries, or anything else that will help us if and when something like this happens. No, no chance of questioning those industries for bringing us to this point. Hmm. Hmm. Again, so I did not mean to get on a soapbox and make a speech. I actually have a few questions. I'll submit those in writing, uh, if you would, Mr. Chair. Um, but I, I just want to thank these two persons before us today and the others who have come before us and have had to feel like the weight of the world's been on their shoulders when all they really did was what oh, they were supposed hey. to do based on their profession, based on their desire to save lives. And as has been mentioned before, um, we followed other routines, 
uh, articulated by Dr. Burke, who was with Mr. Trump at the time, who said we've lost millions of lives by doing the wrong thing, like recommending bleach and telling the American public, don't worry. <laughs> Fucking great. Democrats never fail, man. Come Easter, we'll all be in church together. And we were not in church together for another three Easter's after that. I yield back. I now recognize Dr. Joyce from Pennsylvania for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Chairman Wenstrup and Ranking Member Ruiz for holding today's hearing. And thank you to both Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary for testifying before this committee today. This committee has worked tirelessly, peeling back the layers on the events that transpired amidst the devastating coronavirus pandemic. The members of this committee have been charged with a great responsibility by the American people. Our job is to shine a spotlight on the public health officials and agencies for their mishandlings and to hold them accountable. We are tasked with analyzing their misguided, their ambiguous, and their flawed policies so that we can learn how to better prepare and address any potential public health emergencies in the future. Further, this committee's investigations will finally expose the true origins of this deadly virus that destroyed millions of lives and livelihoods across the globe. In April, just a few short months ago, this committee held a hearing where the former director of the National Intelligence Agency, John Radcliffe, testified. In that testimony, Director Radcliffe said, and I quote, if our intelligence and evidence supporting a lab leak theory was placed side by side with our intelligence and evidence pointing to a naturally occurring spillover theory, the lab leak side of the ledger would be long and overwhelming, while the spillover side would be nearly empty, unquote. Nearly empty. Dr. Anderson, this quote came from the former director of national intelligence and someone who has access to the most sensitive information provided by our intelligence community. If this is the case, can you explain how the proximal origins piece, of which you are an author, totally contradicts that information from our intelligence community? Um, the proximal origin paper is the result of scientific work by international well-known experts. I think it's important to realize that if we look at the recent report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence Community, is that one of their conclusions is that there's no indication that the VIVS pre-pandemic research holdings, but I am including Please, please allow me to address what information we had in front of us. I'm addressing what we heard Radcliffe tell this, that tell us as a committee that that wasn't the case, that overwhelmingly the information at hand provided by the intelligence communities showed that this was not a naturally occurring process. Dr. Anderson, in your testimony, you said the recently declassified report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence does, as you said, conclude that there is no evidence to suggest this, this, this virus came from the lab. However, the ODNI also states in their reports the Department of Energy and the Federal Bureau of Investigation assessed that a laboratory-associated incident was the most likely cause of the first human infection of SARS-CoV-2. Dr. Anderson, you also said in your testimony, we do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. And yet the conclusions by the Department of Energy and the FBI directly contradict your position. How do you bring that together? I think you could say that our conclusions completely contradict their conclusions too. I think it's important to understand that we're looking at different things here. You're talking about the intelligence community. If you look at the scientific literature, the scientific evidence for this pointing to a single market in the middle of Wuhan is overwhelming. No, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> just, man, th th think about just how much they rammed in into the literature, into the news cycles, everything. They were, they were going balls to the wall to make sure that they... Uh, astroturfed everything well. there but is the, no way but the intelligence committee had access to both scientific and the investigative reports they had that overview and their conclusions strongly contradict what your single conclusion uh, projects and we as a committee have heard this repeatedly that the overview from both the FBI and the Department of Energy support 
that there was a lab leak, support that the most likely cause of the first human infection of SARS-CoV-2 was a laboratory incident. We recognize how that occurred. We as a committee have formed what we feel is most important in understanding all the information that's brought forward to us. And that information points directly to a lab leak. My time has expired, Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. I now recognize Ms. Dingell from Michigan for five minutes of questions. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, Mr. Kudo from Hawaii. Thank you very much, Chair. Once again, we find ourselves being faced by our Republican colleagues that have convened another hearing under the guise of investigating the pandemic's origins to advance their extreme conspiratorial narrative against Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and our nation's scientists and public health experts. I'd like to take a bit of a moment during my time to set the record straight about a number of things that have been said today. First of all, one of the things we heard earlier was that scientists don't flip-flop. No, scientists focus on the facts and the data before them, which can change in a matter of 72 hours, or yes, even 45 days between the time of discussion and the time of report, especially when we are dealing with a virus we know very little about that even until this day is rapidly changing and evolving. So I ask both of you to assert coercion or political persuasion as a result of why that change took place during these 72 hours. Is this, in fact, a false statement when we're considering just the, the, the way that the scientific process works and the rapidly evolving, changing and rapid evolving information that we're having at that time took place? I think, again, it's important to understand that it's our thinking that is evolving. We are talking about the change from early hypotheses to realize that a subset of those can, in our opinion, be discarded with a uh, relatively high degree of confidence. And that happens within just a few days when we're specifically talking about a purposefully manipulated virus. That's an evolution of our thinking. It is not a flip-flop. It is an early hypothesis which ends up being unsupported, followed by other hypotheses that are still on the table. And so isn't it important that we, in fact, support this evolution of our thinking and our research in order for us to more quickly be able to really ascertain the proximal origins of things like the COVID-19 virus to start to really begin to save lives? I think it's important that we continue to consider any and all evidence known and potentially to come in the future. And that is exactly what we are doing as the scientific community, which may end up with previous hypotheses all of a sudden being uh, uh, no longer supported, for example. This is not a flip-flop. This is simply the scientific process. So one of my concerns is when politicians start throwing around words like flip-flop, we are actually creating a very chilling effect on the scientific process, on our scientific community. <laughs> As compared to uh, all the draconian censorship and, uh, wow, these motherfuckers, man. I share the concerns that have been raised in this hearing by our ranking member, by the, the good gentleman from Maryland, that we're poisoning the water when it comes to active research and science that is looking at saving lives, taking care of our people. I worry that politi politicians' continued overreach and, quite frankly, weaponization of the discussions around the origin of COVID-19 will, in fact, heighten this chilling effect on the ability for our scientists and public health officials to thoroughly investigate and study future disease outbreaks, public health crises, and be able to meaningfully connect that and convey that to the public. Dr. Gary and Dr. Anderson, do you think political weaponization of the origins of COVID-19 will have a chilling effect on our scientific research, international collaboration? Operations going forward and quite frankly result in lives lost or inability to really respond to public health crisis when it arises you know I'm a scientist um, you know I try not to let the, all the, the din of the politics around me influence my you know my analyses my my experiments the choices that I make when I you know work together with other scientists to write a publication so you know I, I understand what you're saying about, about the what's that character from uh, what's the movie not the office. Maybe it's the office. Something like that. And it's just that he's he's really protective of his stapler. What's that? He reminds me of that character. Politics being influenced, but I can I can tell you that we, we did not let those factors influence our, our writing of the Proximal Origins paper or any of the other, you know, papers in science and PNAS and, and, and the other journals that we've Not written. true. Not true. Lies, lies, lies. Written and influence our uh, thinking about the origins of SARS CoV two in any way. Doctor Anderson, did you want to respond? I think the whole reason I'm here today is because it's been politicized. Mm -hmm. The title is The Proximal Origin of a Cover-Up. 
I think there's no question that why, why, whereas the science itself is a scientific process focused on evidence analyses and then publications and peer-reviewed journals, which is exactly what we have been doing. People are free to disagree with that, whether it's the intelligence community or other scientists. That's why we publish the papers. I think, again, the reason why I'm here today is because of that politicization of that whole process, and I think it is deeply damaging. I think there's a need to rebuild trust. I think it's important to understand that scientists and Milton, politicians need to work together. thank you very much. And I think the, the way to do that, I think, is just focus on the facts and focus on the actual evidence. Thank you. I think we absolutely do have to focus on the facts. I think that for researchers like yourself and others going forward, uh, have to double think what they put on their Slack messages and channels and their emails and their text threads and instead not be distracted from the actual work of the research, but it'll end up is lives lost. It'll cost us time to actually get into what the origins of these disease and public health crises are. So we have to stop the weaponization of the origins of COVID-19. <laughs> oh, man. Two cocoa argumentation. This is... Uh... Ah, you're watching some... That's a slick act, I guess, and, you know, how much more I can take, it's 2.30, I think uh, Shogun Rikasu has retired, um, I'll do one more, one more Republican, and uh, the, the Democrats have just been the same, it's the same message over and over again, um, Fauci and Collins had nothing to do with it, and I mentioned, of course, of Fauci's double salary, etc. Um, please watch the beginning of the stream. Uh, Charles eloquently breaks down where they are lying uh, multiple times, and uh, these are at, at the the root appeals to uh, victimhood. They're claiming they're, they're claiming of being victims of uh, what public public scrutiny, and public scrutiny is now weaponization. Ha! Hmm. Discussion. Thank you, Chair. You'll back. I now recognize Mr. Cloud from Texas for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Chairman. Dr. Gary, how many years have you spent in the field of immuno immunology? Virology. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, about 45. 45. That's, that is significant, no doubt. Um, I think I'm not a scientist. Don't pretend to be. Uh, but I think it's hard sometimes for the American people when we go through things and we read things like where two days prior to a drafting release, you are saying, literally, uh, I re really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from a bat virus to one very similar to it, to COVID. Uh, you said, I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. It's stunning. And then Yeah, and look, more damn beans is correct. Um, the, other, the other message that they've been hammering home, again, is the One Health one. And we must prepare for the next pandemic, and we cannot interrupt the funding for the future and distrust the science. This is, this is the, um, it's a sales pitch. It's a very well- organized and uh, slick sales pitch from Democrats. And I don't, with respect to the Republican side, um, well, as we said at the beginning, um, Charles was literally in contact with him. I was sat next to him in the car as these phone calls were being made, right? And we... we <laughs> I went through and talked about what what questions should be being asked, and um, they haven't they haven't done it, and um, it's uh, it's it's bread and circuses for the for the proles, I'm afraid. Uh, let's see, he says Gary doesn't allow politics and stuff steer his scientific path. He lets bureaucrats do it. Their opinions are considered by the likes of Gary. Anderson by the millions and millions. Yes, yes. Two days later, while it wasn't the proximal origins paper, it was basically the conclusion that you had outruled that as a hypothesis. Um, and you said 
you know, what new data came available. We imagine it took, you know, there's two days between that and, and February 4th, uh, your statement. I assume it took a day to write the draft, and, and so that's, that's one heck of a data dump in one single day that would change 42 years of experience that led to this previous uh, hypothesis. Um, 45 years, I believe, was it? Um, you said it was because of some new data that came available on the, pack, uh, the pangolin. Uh, and uh, Dr. Anderson, you agreed with this in an uh, interview in the New York Times. You said, for example, we looked at data from COVID being found in other species, such as bass pangolins, which demonstrated that other features first appeared. And none of that um, took into account uh, the fewing cleavage site. The pangolin is the receptor binding motif. And um, again, they're sort, of, they're sort of dancing around where they could be. They could be going in for the kill. And uh, they're not very, very frustrating unique to COVID were in fact in other related diseases, but during the peer review part, you said that was not data that was included, that the pangolin information had no inf leaning into the conclusions you made. Is that correct? Uh, so the timeline keeps changing here. First it's two days, and it's three days, it's four days. It's actually 45 days when we talk about it. It's 45 days before the draft was published. I think There's it's a peer review period, uh, and within two days, the conclusion had changed from, oh, this is not going to, to, oh, it's impossible that this could have happened. So that, that is true. And then it, you spent some time actually drafting Proximal Origins, and then you had it peer reviewed. During the peer review process, they brought up, there was questions asked to you, and you said there is no evidence on present data that pangolin and COVID are directly related to COVID-19, in spite of the fact that a year later you said the opposite of that on national TV. Um, and so that's concerning to me, you also said that anyone believes anything contrary to, uh, you know, the, the wet market theory is a conspiracy theorist. And then you corrected that statement, but you certainly said that those of us in the majority, that's not a scientific statement, that's a political statement. Uh, you've also said the only scientific data that is correct points to proximal origins, to natural uh, origins. Yet we have the FBI, the, DE, the DOE, we have a number of other scientists who've worked in this field for decades also pointing to this. Uh, are you concerned that the lab in China deleted information? So I think it, uh, there's a lot of questions in there, there's a lot of words at least, but I think the important thing is that, again, if you look at the intelligence community, for example, the majority of them believe this is natural, right? If you look at the, the recent report, it says almost all agencies agree that SARS-CoV-2 was not genetically engineered. That's one of our main conclusions and, in the process. And after recent information, they're changing their viewpoint. That was originally, and, and new information has come out. Do you have access to classified information? I do not. I think it's important to realize, do you though, that's not concerning. Do you think that the CCP is a trusted partner? I don't think the CCP is, is the trusted okay, partner. You, you said you based your conclusions a lot on the publicly available data coming out of the lab. That publicly available data is what China has made available to the public. And at the meantime, we see them destroying data. We see them not allowing us access to the lab to research anything. And then we also see scientists disappearing uh, who, who worked in China. You don't find that concerning? Hi. <laughs> <Hi. laughs> well, at least he brought that up, I guess. What's her name? Where gotten the researcher's name? Where's uh used to be an account. Where's where's what's her face? You'd want to follow. And that doesn't cause any sort of suspicion. I think, it's, I think it's important to understand that the conclusions are based in part on evidence from China. Of course the, the pandemic started in China, so necessarily early data on cases and what happens at the market will necessarily have to be China, from China itself. However, several of us our conclusions do not rely on evidence from China. For example, the majority of the conclusions in proximal origin are based on publicly available data, which is not just from China, that's from elsewhere as well. In later papers, a lot of our conclusions can be replicated using data that is from outside of China. So there's no specific reliance on any single data set. There's also not 
importantly, there's not one single piece of data that would convince me it's this or it's that. And I think the pangolins, which continue to be misrepresented of what we actually mean, is an important point of that. The reviewer said that based on the pangolin data, you can just reject any potential lab leak uh, the origin. And we say you can't do that. The pangolin data itself is insufficient to do that. You need to look at the consilience of evidence, and you, look at, you need to look at all the evidence in concert, and that's exactly what we're doing in Proximal Origin. And that is also one of the reasons why our thinking on uh, this... Ben says there was Bing Lu that... Well, he, Bing Lu didn't disappear. He was uh, murdered in his, uh, his driveway. What's the... There's the female... She was at the WIV. God, oh, what's her name? Someone on that. This particular qu question evolved over time from early hypotheses to later conclusions published in the peer review. Can you not acknowledge that there are qualified scientists in this field who disagree with you? Absolutely. I are, think they it's, and I've, are they conspiracy theorists? They are not conspiracy theorists, and I think it's important to have scientific you, debate and disagreement. Now recognize Ms. Green from Georgia for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, in 2012, six miners working in a bat-infested mine in southern China caught a coronavirus, had symptoms like COVID-19, and three died. But we didn't see a worldwide pandemic. We didn't see millions of people die. We didn't see governments shut down their economies, take away freedoms such as speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom basically to work a job and support our families. After that, samples of that virus were taken to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the only biosafety level four lab in China. The Wuhan Institute of Virology did gain a function research on these samples and other samples of coronaviruses. In autumn of 2019, the SARS-CoV-2 virus appeared in Wuhan, the closest known relative to the virus extracted from the miners held at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Even early in the outbreak, the virus was well adapted to human-to-human -human transmission. Wuhan authorities worked to silence dissenters and those affiliated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The CCP authorities lobbied the WHO to announce an international emergency and blocked scientific investig investigations access into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Here's what's interesting. Chinese military major General Chen Wei was put in charge of containment of COVID-19. He is the CCP's top biological weapons expert and raises questions about Chinese military involvement at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Go on, go. Dr. Gary, Dr. Anderson, I'll ask each of you one at a time. Why would they put the top biological weapons expert in charge of containment of a virus, a virus that was very similar to the one that a few miners caught in 2012, that, by the way, didn't turn into a pandemic? Why would China put their top biological weapons expert in charge instead of just another vi virologist? Dr. Gary? Representative Green, I, I don't have any, any idea. I have no idea. Okay, Dr. Anderson? I, I can't comment on that. I think it's important to realize, I assume you're, you're referring to the virus RTG 13 And what is very clear is that RTG 13 cannot have led to SARS-CoV-2. These are very unrelated viruses. Well, well, it's interesting, though, that, that you all wrote a paper uh, claiming to know exactly the origins of COVID-19, but China put their top biological weapons expert in, in charge of containment. On January 15, 2021, the Department of State released a fact sheet entitled Activity at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It discussed three primary areas of concern. First one, illnesses inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The U.S. government believes several re researchers inside the lab became sick in the fall of 2019 before the CCP first reported cases of COVID-19. That was in the lab. The CCP prevented journalists, investigators, and global health authorities from accessing the lab, including interviewing the researchers that fell sick in 2019. Sounds like they were concerned about so-called conspiracy theories, just like you were. There was also research at the, the lab starting in at least 2016, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was researching RATG13, just as you mentioned, the bat coronavirus, with the closest relationship to SARS-CoV-2, 96.2% similar. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has published record of dangerous gain-of-function research, gain-of-function like our government has funded with grants through EcoHealth. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, there's secret military activity at the lab. The U.S. government determined 
that the lab collaborate, collaborated on publications and secret projects with the CCP military since at least 2017. Perhaps that's why they put their top biological weapons expert in charge of containment, because they were very aware of the type of research that was going on at the lab, where, where people that worked at the lab got sick with COVID-19 first. But you guys think this came from nature. Do you still believe it came from nature, Dr. Gary, Dr. Anderson? Yes, I, I do believe that the natural origin via the wildlife trade is the most likely origin based on all the science, all the data that we've analyzed. Dr. Anderson? I do. And I think it's important to, you mentioned the six, six researchers here. In the recent report, again, the IC continues to assess that this information neither supports nor refutes either hypothesis of the pandemic's origin because the researchers' symptoms could have been caused by a number of diseases. Actually, actually Dr. Anderson, I'll reclaim my time. The IC believes that the origin of COVID-19 is from the lab. Most of the intelligence community believes that, and they've stated so. So is the energy department. Um, and so do many other doctors and researchers believe that it came from the lab. And from all of this evidence, it's very clear that China also believed it came from the lab. But it's unfortunate that you all have, are speaking the same pro-China talking points as some of our colleagues. <laughs> on, uh, he's funny. On our committee. And I think it's more important to really recognize it probably came from the lab. I yield back. Now recognize Dr. Jackson from Texas for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Dr. Anderson, Dr. Gary, Dr. Anderson in particular here. I just wanted to address one thing here uh, to start with. I know this has been mentioned again, but I just want to reiterate this. You emailed Dr. Fauci prior to the February 1st call, and, uh, and you said, quote, the unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome, end quote. And then you went on to say, after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Later on in the, in the phone call, the phone call that followed, Dr. Farzan said, uh, so I think it becomes a question of how do you put all this together? Whether you believe this is a series of coincidences, what you know of the lab in Wuhan, how much could be in nature, accidental release or nature event? I am 70-30. Dr. Gary, you stated, I, can't, I really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from the bat virus to one very similar uh, to it, to where you insert exactly four amino acids, 12 nucleotides, that all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function. I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. It's stunning, you said. All right. Nevertheless, three days later, and I, I cleared this up in the hearing, so thank you. I, I thought this was the initial uh, uh, release of the proximal origins, but it wasn't. But let, Nevertheless, four days later, uh, I have this email here, and it's been mentioned already by one of my colleagues here, but I just want to reiterate it again. This is an email on February the 4th that was initiated, at least what I have here, uh, by Dr. Holmes, who I wish was here so he could answer a couple questions I have about this email. But it says, uh, it's, it's addressed to Jeremy Farrar, and it says, here is a summary so far. will be edited further. It's fundamental science and completely neutral as written. Did not mention other anomalies, as this will make us look like loons. I have no idea what that means. I'd love to find out, but he's not here to answer that question. Uh, it was replied to by Dr. Farrar, who also CC'd Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, and said, please treat in confidence. A very uh, rough first draft from Eddie and the team, they will send on edited cleaner version later. Dr. Francis Collins replied, a uh, very thoughtful analysis, and then Dr. Jeremy Farr replied with something, which I don't know what it is, because the vast majority, of the, every bit of his response is, is redacted out, so I don't know exactly what that was. But my question was, is it during, you, you cleared up that this was not the initial draft of Proximal Origins, that this was a response email or a follow-up uh, follow uh, draft report, uh, or whatever you want to call it, in response to the phone call that took place on February, on February the 1st. My question for both of you is, at that particular point, when this, when this uh, information, this draft summary was forwarded uh, to Dr. Collins and, and Dr. Fauci, uh, referencing the phone call that you had days earlier, were your conclusions changed? Had your hypothesis changed at that particular point? I can tell you that. I think, let me just go back to the original email because there's, there's other sentences in that email that I think is important to. First of all, I say we have a good team lined up to look at very critically at this, so we should know much more at the end of the weekend. I also yeah, we've looked at that team, we've looked at the money that flows through it, etc. This is... Um, Ah, it's sad watching the enronization of uh, science like this. Uh... Also say, 
But we have to look at this much more closely, and there are still further analyses to be done, so those opinions could change. When you're looking at our February 4 summary, which is the one that you're referring to here, our main conclusion is that we believe deliberate engineering can be ruled out with a high degree of confidence. However, referring to both lab leaks, specifically the tissue culture hypothesis that we describe in proximal origin, our conclusion at the time of February 4th is that current data are consistent with all three. It is currently impossible to prove or disprove either. Okay, Dr. Gary, what about you? Because you specifically said, I mean, you know, Dr. Anderson says he doesn't believe it was engineered, but he said he had ruled out a lab leak in that particular thing. Dr. Gary, you guys specifically said that, you know, you find it completely stunning, implausible that, that this, you know, that, that you insert four amino acids and 12 nucleotides, all that have to be exact, exact same time to gain this function. That sounds like engineering to me. Well, again, Representative Jackson, I think I started to or tried to address this before. That was a single email out of a lot of communications that I was having with people like Dr. Anderson and others. And in that... <laughs> he just... Meme makers, he needs a red stapler put in his, uh, put in his hands as he's nervously fun fumbling, <laughs> fumbling that folder. He needs that red stapler. A particular email, I was, you know... Raising my concern about this one. Let me ask you real quick. You, you, you yeah. didn't explain that. Uh, let me just ask you guys real quick. So okay, you're telling me that, like, you know, and, and this was the, the actual first uh, publication of Proximal Origin was published on February 16, 2020. It was posted uh, in, uh, the web, on the website Biological. So from, the, from February 1st to February 16th, are you telling me that you gathered all of this, you, you gathered all of this additional information? Because we know what your initial hypothesis was, or your initial conclusions were to start with before. You gathered every bit of this new additional information, which we don't know exactly what it was or where it came from. You completely changed your hypothesis. You collaborated <laughs> with your co-authors, and you wrote the Proximal Origins paper all in that period of Time. I just want to know my time's up, but I just want you to know that sounds completely ridiculous to the American people, and it's completely in step with what a lot of people think is going on here. Is that Dr. Anthony Fauci and Francis Collin realized that they had been implicated in the in the production or in the in, in the creation of this virus, and they were doing everything they could, including getting both of you to come on board as tools or vehicles to undermine that theory. Thank you. My time is up. <laughs> what can I say? I think that's uh, a good place on uh, which to leave it. I mean, that's another. Uh hour or so to go um the, the democrat side was obviously a waste of time um i think uh dr jackson here um recapitulated uh much of uh our feelings as to what was going on uh, especially that the the individuals involved um took a conscious decision to um tow a particular line and one that um one that's geared very much in in this environment to absolving fauci and uh collins and the institutes uh, it's the institutes that they're really trying to protect and um they gotta go uh in my opinion they need um they need completely breaking apart oh, you know uh, Charles has made the point that there are something like 18,000 NIH employees and not one whistleblower has stepped forward. And, you know, what what whistleblowers do we have? Well, I guess you could say Li Min Yang, um, Andrew Huff. Uh, what's the the flight surgeon? who started to raise a ruckus about the um, cardiac issues in pilots. Oh, what was her name? And then um, a few sort of loudmouths and uh, like myself and you know, others sort of working um, anonymously to try and drag this data out into the public. Had they had their way, you wouldn't have heard anything about 
well, from the from the odd molecular biology to the um, wide tissue tropism that this agent has to the defense weapons programs and their medical countermeasures you would have heard nothing about it they would have uh, they would have tried to push down their uh, lockstep um, control mechanisms and uh, as we as we saw them play out and um, the the disturbing thing is is that uh, Teresa Long thank you comfortably um, the my my solution is it's you go in and everyone in NIH in terms of owning a lab let's say and yeah so PIs and the bureaucracy anything involved in the bureaucracy the grants or in anything like that um, fire them fire everyone and then um, you re-interview them for the job and um if they were in a position to be able to speak out and they didn't then yeah you know they should be uh, they should be looking for uh, temporary work at a amazon warehouse i think something something along those lines and the i wouldn't stop there either um i would be i would be going after the uh the intelligence agencies as well they haven't done their job but yeah mass after fire everyone and um the the positions get put up for rehire they can try to interview for the job themselves and who knows maybe you get an honest uh, postdoc who knows what was really going on in the lab uh, spill the beans that way um what's the um batman right where uh <laughs> He snaps the pull cue and uh, says, "Whoever comes out on top, uh, got a job." Um, we need we need to make it like that, right now. That would that would be my approach. But uh, all right, it's late. Um, thank you. Uh, a few people did uh, send donos. Let me just uh, say thank you to um, Matt uh, Yowder and. Uh, Jeff and that one's oh those were this morning uh, so free free this evening um, thank you thank you very much um, keeps us going and um, <laughs> I'm just just thinking about what Charles is saying um, it's probably uh, it's getting more and more treacherous <laughs> in the US. Uh, I'll speak to Charles. Keep him ensconced here. All right, uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. And um, thank you very much for listening. I'll play the rest. Um, I know Charles wants to do a Twitter space, but there's an hour more to go, and I I, I don't have the steam right now. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens later. So. Thank you very much, folks, uh, for listening in. Um, I presume Charles is okay and just passed out. So um, I will see you in the next one. Take care. God bless. Bro, you don't know how angry I am.
You do, like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers. I will fucking kill each fucking capper. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these cappers. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever throws you my fucking blood blood. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking fillies and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All that five. This guy. Let up. 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 Let up